Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. The Practical Guitarist Podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices of practical guitars to the world. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitars Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash practical guitars or on Twitter as at practguitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitarspodcast.threadless.com and donate to us via Patreon available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Good evening, Jim. Hey, David. That's evening for us, morning for probably some people, and maybe yeah. midday for others, and, you know, that whole thing. Um, dude, did, did I tell you about what happened to me at the Honda dealership? You, you did. This is guitar-related. Let, let me explain why first, okay? Okay. So I have a, I have a Volkswagen Passat right now. Um, I bought the Passat because it's got the biggest cabin in its class, and it's also got the biggest trunk in its class. And that may not be true now, but when it was when I bought it, that's you know part of the the purchase criteria. It's got a big trunk. I could put a four twelve in the trunk. It'd be on its back, but I mean, um, and that's that's the musician side of this, right? So when you buy a car and you're a musician, or you buy a vehicle and you're a musician, you're always looking for something that will be big enough to haul the gear that you intend on having, right? So right. Um, drummers, I know drummers who buy trucks and vans exclusively. So, uh, yeah. but anyway. I, uh, I've been having problems with my Passat. I've had a couple of issues where it's been in the shop. Um, and I have warranty, which is great. Right. And it's, it's cost me, if I didn't have the warranty this year, it would have cost me $2,000 for the repairs that I've had done thereabouts, wow. thereabouts. Um, and the other day, my AC on my left-hand side went out uh, on the pass or on the driver's side, the passenger side is fine. Apparently, it's a common problem that the door gets stuck on them and whatever. And so they replaced it. There'd been a $650 or $700 repair. So in the midst of getting told by their service center that I couldn't get it in that day because they didn't have any space for me, um, I said, you know what? I'm driving to another dealership, and I'm going to look at another car. Because I'm like, at this point, um, they're not doing anything for me. And I've had other service problems with the dealer being able to get me in and that kind of stuff. So I'm like, what can I do about this? So I went over to Honda and I had the worst, you know, I complained about Guitar Center and other places, but I had the worst sales experience the other day at Honda. <laughs> Without a doubt, the worst sales experience I've ever had. And it was a guy, so I walk in, right? And I walk into the, um, and I've been in this dealership before, uh, Rorman Honda for anybody who's interested. And um, I walked into the, uh, 
showroom and like walked over to the Accord because that's, you know, comparable to what I have. And then I started looking at it and the guy, of course, you can't be in a dealership for less than 30 seconds without somebody approaching you, right? There's, right. there were literally no less than five guys idle who are all salespeople end of the month, right? It's the 31st. So the guy comes up and he says, uh, we'll help you with. And I'm like, oh, I'm just taking a look at the car. I'm, I said, in the next couple months, I'm probably going to be ready to pull the trigger. Um, I'm, so I'm not, I'm not in any position to buy a car today. Um, I said, nor do I want to. He goes, well, what, what can I do for you? He's like, well, how, how can I make this happen? It's the end of the month. I got great pricing. And I'm like, uh, probably, probably not at all, frankly. And I said, I'd like to look at the different trim levels of the Accord. And so he takes me out on the lot because the only one they had in there was like the luxury, you know, high end. Of course. And of course. walks me, you know, to Timbuktu. And on the way, he pulls out cigarettes and offers to hand, uh, would you like a cigarette? Like, no, I don't smoke. And immediately I'm thinking, what am I getting myself into? Um, and the guy didn't have a name tag on or nothing, but he did work for him. He had one of their shirts on, but he didn't like no identifying marks of any kind. Like, you got a business card? No, uh, they're all on my desk. I don't have any on me. I'm like, what in the hell? So we get back to the back corner of the lot, which is you know a good, good four-minute walk. And it's a big city dealership, and they got a lot of volume. So get back there, and uh, well, they got this one, and we got this one. And, you know, and I said, well, I like that color. And I said, I said it would have – I need to have one with a sunroof. And I said, that's, that's important to me um, because I've had two cars now that didn't have them, right? Um, and I, my first car had one. So, you know, I'm young folks. I've only had three cars. Well, no, take it back. I've had four. Um, so anyway, this is where it starts to get nuts, right? So the next question out of the guy's mouth is what kind of a payment would you need for me to get you into one of these today? And I said, well, I said, my payment right now is X. And I said, you're going to have to be at X or within $25 of X, either plus or minus. And I said, if you could do that for me today, I would consider it. I said, it's not a done deal, but I said, I would consider it. So he starts asking me all these questions about, you know, my credit situation, those kind of things. And I'm kind of, I'm pretty open with him. Um, and he goes, you know, do you have any money to put down? And I said, well, to be completely honest, it would have to be a $0 down situation. Cause I said, I'm not prepared to purchase this. I got other things planned for the month. <clears throat> Gear fest. And um, yeah. so you know, it would have to work out where I wasn't really going to be putting anything out today, except maybe, you know, license plate fees or something like that. And, right. um, so he says, uh, he says, well, he's like, we might be able to make that work. Well, um, anyway, so in the course of this discussion, I, it, it basically comes out to the fact that the car I would want would cost, would cost me a little bit down. And so he, he, um, we kind of go back and forth and he, he recommends me, well, you know, if you're not in, if you really don't have the money to afford that, he's like, I could probably get you in a civic. And I'm like, I don't want a civic. I'm like, the trunk is too small. And I said, the car is way smaller than what I have. And then the guy goes, right. he goes, no, he's like, they're the, it's, he's like, it's really big inside. It's bigger than your car. And I looked at him and I said, my car has the biggest cabin in its class. I'm thinking, you're a car sales guy. You got to know this stuff. Like, if you don't know this, you know, you, you, what are you doing here? So he kind of argues with me for a minute. And then he says, let's go on a test drive. You know, I'm like, all right, fine. I don't care. Like, I, at this point, I just want to leave. And I feel like, you know, I, I, I tell him flat out, I'm like, 
I don't really want to waste your time. I'm not buying a car today, right? And uh, he says, no, he's like, it's no big deal. He's like, this is what I do for a living. Like, you know, I don't mind wasting time with you or whatever. And I'm like, <sighs> so um, he goes off to, he comes back and he's, we're talking again. And I, and I finally told him, I said, look, I said, uh, I'm not in any position to buy a car today. He goes, well, you got, you know, he's like, you got to have some money to put down or something. And I looked at him and I'm like, what I have in my bank account is none of your goddamn business. And because and, 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 at this point, I'm getting pissed off. And yeah, like, I'm yeah, trying to guy. beg off. I'm trying to walk away. I'm like, what the hell, dude? So then he puts me, he, he, he's like, no, let's do the test drive. Let's do the test drive. I'm like, I'll test drive, but I t I'm telling you right now, I'm not buying the car. And he's, you know, I'm waiting for him to be he's like, oh, it's cool. Don't worry about it. Like, come back when you're ready. He's like, but it's the 31st. He's like, I can do the best deals today. And he's like, you're never going to get a deal better than what I can give you today. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, dude, come on. Go away. So then uh, he puts me in this car, and, he, and, and we go for the test drive, and it's fine. You know, drives like an Accord. It's, it's, it's good. Like, right? Car and driver, right? They, they always rate the thing very highly because it's, it's a good car. Um, oh, yeah. I don't think it drives better than what I got right now. To be completely honest, it doesn't have as big a trunk. It doesn't have as right. big a back seat. So this is the things that are entering in my mind as, as we're going through the discussion. He's like, oh, you know, we can probably do this for you today and this and this. And um, we get back to the thing, and I'm like, I'm like, you know, I'm going to humor this guy. He's wasted enough time on me, like the very very minimum. I can let him try to make me an offer. And, and so I tell him as we're getting out of the car, I'm like, look, dude, I'm like, it's 3 o'clock. It's Friday afternoon. My kids just got off school. I need to go pick them up in like an hour or two, you know, because yeah. they're my, my, uh, they're, at their grandmothers and right. the dude goes um he goes i'm gonna make you the best offer i can like right up front i'm not gonna play around with you and i'm thinking you know modern sales tactics are not high pressure so maybe the guy's being serious maybe the guy's a little just a little off and that's why i'm kind of like feeling this thing out and getting kind of ugly with the dude and um so i go and i sit down <laughs> he comes back and he and he puts the offer on the table and he slides it over to me just like old sleazy used car salesman right and i flip it over and i look at it after we after we go through all the you know the like the talk about how much i make and all those kinds of things and i flip it over and i look at the number and it's about 75 dollars too much um payment wise right and, um right. and then below it he has it broken down what he's what he's going to give me or what he the price he's going to give me right which is under which is under yeah. fair purchase but bear in mind yeah. i'm trading in a car okay mm -hmm. so I'm looking at this and I'm going, where's my trade-in value? And I asked him, he's like, well, I can't give you that yet. Cause he's like, I don't, we don't have it fully approved. And I'm like, so wait a minute, then how are you able to give me this number? You obviously know it's within some, you know, some range. Cause you know, you're going to be plus or minus five or $10 on this. And right. so he's like, is this going to work for you? And I'm like, no, I said, it's not anywhere near where I wanted to be. And I said, I told you that out of the lot. You had to be within 25 bucks of my current payment. And I said, this is $75 of my current payment, right? And I'm right. like, this is just not going to work. So he says, hang on, let me go talk to the finance guy. Now I'm, now I'm getting the song and dance po dog and pony show and I'm already tired of it, right? So he goes and he talks to the, he doesn't talk to the finance guy, he talks to the manager, right? The manager says, give him, give him another 500. So he comes back and he sits down and he's got another number and it's, and it's still, it's 50 bucks over my current payment. So I laugh at him right. and I'm like, dude, I can't do this. He's like, let me go talk. He's like, he's like, I know you're about to walk away and everything. And he's like, I know you feel like you're done here and all this. And he's like, 
Let me go talk to the finance guy. I'm going to have him come over and talk to you. So the finance guy comes out and he says, you know, he's like, here's the problem. He's like, you're going to end up with some negative equity from your current vehicle. I'm like, I already know that. I said, I'm going to have about 2000 in, in negative equity. Well, he goes, well, that number, he's like, that could fluctuate a little bit, but he's like, I can make you a deal. He's like, you, we can lease you a car for, for two years, three years at 15,000 miles, the car you want. And he's like, we can do it for this number. Slides the number over the table, flip it over. I look at it and I go, you're out of your mind. I'm like, first off, <laughs> it, 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 here's, here's what it was. It was $45 more than my current payment, which you're getting closer. Yep. And I told him that. I said, you're getting closer. But I said, this is not going to work for me. And I said, here's why. I said, yes, you're going to buy me out of my car. You're going to get me out of my negative equity with this, right? So I'm still going to have, but I'm still going to have a 400 and, you know, almost a $500 car payment. And I'm like, right. and I'm like, on top of that, I have nothing at the end of the lease. I said, right now, right. and I said, I have a car and it works and it's good. And I said, right now, I can drive it off the lot, drive it another three years, sell it, right? And not be underwater. Yep. So I'll have no negative equity and, I, right. and I'll still have something to show for it because I'll be able to buy another car. And I said, that's the problem. I'll have no asset if I take your deal. I said, right. that's wrong. I'm not going to do that. I said, you're crazy. I can go buy a car somewhere else and get the deal I need. I said, you're crazy. So he yep. says, he says, well, hang on. Let me go, let me go work up another year. It comes back $5 less. Right. I'm like, yeah, I, I just shook my head. And I was like, dude, this just isn't going to work. And he's like, well, what? He's like, what if we, you know, got you in the, the lesser car? And I'm like, I don't right. need to get out of my negative equity. What part of that do you not understand? I'm like, it has to be a palatable deal. I said, I walked in here and I told this guy, because the, 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 I could see the manager standing over behind him. I said, I walked in here and I told this gentleman right here, the sales guy. I said, there's no possible way you're going to get me to buy a car today. I said, I did not come in here to buy a car. I came in here to look. And I said, just to find out where I would be in three months. And I said, when I told right. him that I would be back in three months, do you know what he said? And the and, uh, finance guy and, and the sales guy are both looking at me like, I said, he said, you guys were going to give me the best deal you could possibly give me today and that you would never give me a better deal than what I could get today. And I said, frankly, I said, I knew that wasn't true from moment one. And I said, I'm getting, yeah. I'm getting sick of dealing with it. And they're like, well, come on. What, what do we have to do to get you in a car? And I'm like, I've already told him. I was like, I got to be within $25 on either end of my current payment. If you can't do that for me and give me an asset, I'm done. So the, the, the sales guy now, he's, he's like, he's like, well, he's like, um, he's like, what, is that all we have to do? And I looked at him and I was like, you know what? I was like, to be honest with you, I was, I just kind of shaking my head and I'd like already thought about it. I, I made him walk away for a few minutes and come back. And I'm like, I, I looked at the guy and I was like, look, I was like, the only way you're going to sell me a car today is that if you're a different car dealership. Wow. And he, he had this look on his face. He's like, oh, come on. We can make something work. And I was like, no, we can't. He's like, we're not, we're not about high-pressure sales tactics or anything here. And I'm like laughing because I'm like, seriously? Seriously? I'm like, all right. I, I, I put my finger up you know, in the air and I said, all right. I said, give me the keys to my car now. I, I basically yep. demanded him. I was like, this is it. I've had enough. You've wasted enough of my right. time. I said, give me the keys. My So they bring me my keys, right? The, the, the yep. manager brings me my keys and he stops me by the door and he says, you know, he's like, I'm really sorry we could make a deal with you today. He's like, I apologize if we offended you or anything. And I looked at him. I looked him right square in the face and I said, you know what? I said, it's not a big deal. I said, I understand your business model. I understand how this works. 
And I said, I, there were a couple of comments made that like, like dumbing things down, trying to explain things to me. When I told him I, I would be out of my negative equity in a year or two, they're like, but what about depreciation? And I'm like, you only depreciate so much. I said, nowadays it, right. it costs you $10,000 to buy a car with a hundred thousand miles on it. I said, you're out of yeah. your mind. If you think in two years, I'm still going to be underwater. Like you're crazy. Yep. So, um, the guy, the guy, uh, you know, the, the manager is like, he's like, well, is there anything we could have done better? And I'm like, yeah, not insult me. And I said, don't waste my time. When I told you I wasn't going to buy a car today, don't right. have this big conversation. So he goes, he goes, well, he's like, I hope you'll consider us in a couple months uh, when, when you come, you know, when it comes time to buy a car. And I looked at him and I said, look, I said, the only way I'll ever consider buying a car from Roman Honda is when your name is Valley Honda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this look. Oh like, wow! Whoa. And I walked out. I was like, dude, I, I I just can't do it anymore. I can't do the high pressure sales tactics. I just can't. I bought. I, don't I bought. Think anybody wants to anymore? I, I can't believe there, that there are even companies like this still. Are there car dealerships still out there like this? I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And then you go yeah. on, you go on, um, you go on, you know, your review sites online, and nobody's giving them a negative review, and you're going, what planet are you on? Um, so, well, cause they have the ability to delete the negative reviews. Right. So I'm sorry that that went really long and I was originally going to make that Patreon content, but I felt really like strongly about the fact that these kind of sales tactics used to exist in the guitar community as well. Like the hard sale, you'd go into the place and the, the guy would be like, fender sucked cause I'm a dealer for this company, you know? And like, right. they would be like, no, this is why this guitar is so much better. That stuff's gone in our industry, but you still have to deal with it when you buy a car if you're going to support your, your gear stuff. And the main thing is this, like I, I, I don't like the, the bad sales tactics, but the other part of this I don't like right. is the fact that they sit there and lie to you about things like the price. I was told that the MSRP on the Accord hybrid is 20 is, is $30,000 to is 26. Like they're, they, they, I don't know where they're getting that number from, but it's 26,000. You can say it's 30,000 all day long, but if you go to Honda's website right now, it's 26,000. It's like twenty six five or something. So yeah. I, well, they always try to. Well, the MSRP that we have also includes no, no, no. This, this, uh, yeah, this that's another this. thing. You, you're, you're absolutely right because they're like, oh, it has a destination charge on it. You are not supposed to pay that destination charge. That is the dealer's responsibility. They're the ones that order the car from the manufacturer, not you. And yep. if you ever pay that, you should fight because that's that. Honestly, that is not your your fee to pay. And the fact that they've started charging that to consumers is absurd. So that being said, I think most people who buy gear, like gear haulers are buying them, you know, used cars from like whatever they get in a van or whatever. And, and I've actually thought about doing that, but I live in a condo. Yeah. I can't have an extra parking space, which is, which yeah. would be problematic. So, you know, just, just food for thought. Like when you buy a car, don't let them, don't let them talk, talk down to you. If you, if you go to a car dealership, that's like, they just go somewhere else. You don't have to do that. You really don't. Um, right. So I'm resurrecting, and this is my other new thing for the week. I'm resurrecting the uh, Guitar Resource Collective currently, and we have a 30 day okay. we have a 30 day challenge going over there. If you don't know what the Guitar Resource Collective is, it's a Facebook group that I started a while ago. That was all about yeah. like advancing technique, and I'm going to get into like some in depth stuff. And of course, I'm going to probably rebrand the group a little bit to you know point at the podcast because obviously that's my primary endeavor at this point. Um, but the reason why I'm bringing it up now is because we're doing a 30 day challenge and um, I'll read the, the post I put up, which is basically that um, 
we're going to do a 30 day chops challenge. And, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to spend 15 minutes on a picking exercise with a metronome, 15 minutes with backing tracks and 15 minutes of playing rhythm guitar daily, um, with all, you know, with a metronome or, or backing tracks. Um, and then I want, I, what I want, what I'm encouraging people to do is to record themselves at the start and then record themselves at the end. And if they want to post it in the group, that's fine. If they just want to do it for their own selfish, you know, whatever, like, that's fine too. But the whole point is I want to, I want to, I want people to see what structured practice does for somebody. And I got the idea from a YouTube video. I was watching a guy and he was talking about, this is what my practice regimen was like. And he's basically just jamming out the tunes on a, you know, like an ax effects or something. And I'm going, I just kind of shook my head and I go, how are you getting any development out of that? Because when I do that, I get nothing. Yeah. You're going to, well, what most people tend to do tend to is to play the same thing over and over. Right. And, uh, you know, just because it's in a different key doesn't mean you're not playing the same thing. Over. Right, right. So um, if you guys want to check that out, you can go over to the Guitar Resource Collective and take a look. It's kind of, I, I mean, the group is not really affiliated with the Practical Guitars podcast, but because it's my thing, it will be to some extent. Um, and uh, I wouldn't try to get that resurrected. So if you're not a member of that group, you might want to check it out. Um, also, you know, GearFest is coming if you, if you haven't forgotten. Gearfest is coming and uh, we'll be there. So, <laughs> all right, Jim, <laughs> you, you have the floor. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, um, I want to take just a second of silence for the people um, in Virginia Beach. Oh, absolutely. Who, uh, who lost their lives. And for those who are mourning the loss of those lives, um, we had a mass shooting um, not too far from me. And uh, it kind of, it's, it's, all over the place down here. It's an incredible um, situation right now. They just want to take a second of silence. So we'll just uh, count off a few seconds here. Okay. So anyway, I I, have, um, I know some of the people in that building. Uh, I interviewed for a job there uh, last year. Uh, I didn't go there for a couple reasons. But anyway, um, yeah, such a bad. terrible situation when I hear about that stuff. And it is. I, I'm a we're musicians, right? And so when I hear about somebody who's like gotten to that mental state where they've crossed over into the realm of doing things the right normal way, um, yep. there's. I'll talk about that more in a minute. But but I always kind of think like they didn't. They, they these people never found a release. They never found some way like we musicians have to use like music or something else to release them from their their tensions. And that's why this stuff has happened. And I think mm -hmm. as our society gets more into like eliminating things from schools and um, making things more difficult to participate in, it, it makes those releases harder to find. Um, and I think we're, we may see an increase in this stuff and that really sucks because nobody needs to go through that. Like whether it's the family member, or the person that's actually involved in it or the shooter for that matter. Cause I'm one yeah. of those people that like looks at them and thinks, what what awful thing happened to this person that they finally just right um, what what possibly went wrong so caused you to go to that point interesting thing because i we did this at work and i don't want to i'm not I'm, i'll give you the floor back here in a second but the interesting thing is that most people um fit into these categories like there's like three unique archetype categories in in uh, yep. what they call the sdi right and we've taken it at work, but basically what it helps do is it like, it identifies your conflict zones and like where, how you move through conflict. And there's like three different 
types. There's one where you internalize everything and then there's one where you externalize and then there, there's another one um, where you, where you try and solve the problem. Like you try to work to people really hard, you get frustrated or whatever. But anyway, the point is that you go through these three stages and when you have that kind of an event, they've gone to the third stage and it's, the stages are different for everybody. So some people, when they get like super depressed, you know, obviously they'll, commit suicide or something like that. Some people get to the point where they just, they, they um, shut themselves off for the world and they just don't do anything. Like they get in such a deep depression that they basically off themselves because they just don't take care of themselves anymore. And then the third right. is the people that externalize everything and go and inflict violence upon others. Um, and it's just, you can see right there that these people have no way to get past that tension. So they've gone through the two other stages that they have. And then they get to that third one. Um, so it plays right into what I was saying. Like you really need a release. Everybody needs one. And I hope for me, for ever, all our listeners who are musicians or interested in becoming musicians that they understand that this is for a lot of people is more than just music. Like it's, it's something that like soothes the soul. So yeah. anyway, you got other stuff, right? Did we, we talked about, yeah. we talked about your, your, um, your new illness, the MS3. Yeah. So I, um, I went on YouTube and as usual, couldn't find anything that showed you how to <laughs> control the Marshall, uh, via MIDI. Oh, it's it was nothing. dead simple. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I've decided I'm going to make a little video just to show people that get it. Some people are MIDI challenged. I mean, let's face it. Unless you're you're a keyboard player or you use a MIDI controller of some kind for something else, there is very little real information on MIDI. Um, and when it comes to amplifiers, it's like, okay, how do I know what to do with this amplifier? When it comes sure, to MIDI? sure. So, um, of course, the MIDI the the list of MIDI words you can use with the amp is like nine. Yeah, it's like it's very continuous controller change, and then you just send over different numbers, pretty much. I mean, it's well, yeah. So uh, there's there's four PCs. Yeah, program uh, changes, right? Because you're going, uh, you know, from the classic grain gain to the crunch, and then OD one and OD two, and then you have like you have like a continuous controller for the master, right? And then you have continuous controller right for the loop of the master. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool. They give you a loop volume then. That's awesome because yeah. That's one thing that I found to be slightly annoying with a lot of amps, my Mark V included. There's no loop volume control. And there's a really good reason to have a loop volume control for a lot of people, which is number one, of course, you can go from line to, you know, you can get a, a hotter level. Um, but you can, depending on what your amp is, you can use a jumper. So, like a really short patch cable to connect the two yep. loops. And then you can turn it up and use it as a boost. Or you can use it as a poor man's. Um, attenuator by right. rolling off the volume. Putting a volume in there and rolling Yeah, off. Set, use it to set your top end, and then you can use your master control a little bit more freely, um, which is yep. what I'm actually doing with my Mark 525 is I got a volume pedal in the loop. Yeah. So you can also turn the loop on and off. Um, and then there's a tone shift button, which I'll probably never use. Yeah, the modern <laughs> classic, right? You know, yeah. I like I've never really been a big fan of the DSL modern mode. Um, I'm more of a classic Marshall guy anyway, though, and I think that's a big part of that. So I, yeah, uh, we went to see. Oh, I went with uh, 
with show listener and Patreon supporter, Jeff Biaziadecki, and we went to go see um, Paul Gilbert together the other night. And I have to say, it was a really good show. Um, if you recall in the early episodes of this, I went to see um, Mr. Big. That was quite good, too. But he's a big Marshall yeah. guy. So, I'm, so we'll, we can talk about that later in the show, but he's a big Marshall guy. Yep. So, um, I have. I actually have a topic for us to talk about tonight, if you, if you like. I mean, I don't know how you feel. Well, yeah. So anyway, I, <laughs> I sat down with the instruction booklet and yeah. – uh, Figured out the the PCs and then the CCs, um, and uh, pizza for for those that yeah, and for those who uh, are a little bit more MIDI challenged. So uh, the PC or program changes. Um, it's it's a word you send over to the to the amplifier. Um, so you have when it comes to MIDI, you have um, you have channels and you have the PCs, you have CCs, and the um, PCs or program changes. Um, and you kind of look at those as like a large, a higher level thing that you're doing. And then the CC is something you can do within that. So let's say I want to change the channel on the amp, um, and I want to switch, uh, the master volume as well. So I send the, the channel change, then I can send the, the master. But if I don't want to send the PC, if I don't want to send the channel change, but I do want to send the, um, the uh, master volume mm -hmm. change, I could do that as well. So those are those are just little things. Um, and uh, again, for for somebody who buys an amp like that or buys a um, uh, some of these other MIDI control amps, it's something that it's like you kind of should. If if you're going to have these videos, but this is how you use our amp, and here's what you can do with this, and here's good. And the one thing they never do is the MIDI. Yeah, there's the MIDI. We we you know Andertons, they could. Easily in four in, in four seconds going, and here's what you can do with the MIDI. So you don't have to go out and spend $160 on the six button switch because guess what those six buttons do? Those are your MIDI words because yeah. there's only four. There's only six words in MIDI. You can, that's it. Yeah, I mean that's um, it's your four channels and your two <laughs> two CCs or your three CCs. Well, let's talk about this for a minute. Though. So you're talking about Andertons and these other places don't really cover MIDI, right? Yeah. Now, for guitar players, MIDI is like it's kind of a foreign, dirty word for a lot of players because it's a complicated. Yep. It's a little bit more complex than you know, just hit the button and then having it change something via a two-button foot switch. Um, but what? Why do you think? So why do you think a, comp a company like Andersons would ignore it? Is it because of that market segment? Like there's just not enough people interested in it? Because that's kind of where I think. I mean. I don't know. You know, I wonder because, all right, if you, if you take the time it would take to do that, I'm wondering if they don't want to open up the can of worms of, well, how did you do it? Yeah. And um, I, and I think that probably is a good part, a good part of that. Uh, but the, but the other side of me tends to think that there's a possibility that what they're doing is okay. Maybe not in, in this case, but in most cases, those pedals, there's got to be a good amount of markup in those pedals. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so even like a MIDI mouse, which is programmable, is like, I think it's like a it's 99 bucks from, from uh, Tech 21, yeah. I think. And you know what? Like when you buy that thing from, from Marshall that really only does those six words over a, uh, yeah. you know, a MIDI DIN cable, like yep. that's 
right there, you're, you know, you're basically like you cut out all the programming portion. So that 99 here's, bucks should be like 45 or 50 bucks. I mean, here's a, okay. So, so from somebody who's worked inside of this stuff before, um, first of all, they don't send it over the MIDI cable. For some reason they send it over TRS. Oh, so is it MIDI? Oh, is it MIDI cool. via TRS too? No, the MIDI is via MIDI. Oh, I'm so the foot switch doesn't, din. so the foot switch isn't sending MIDI signals then. It's just a, no. a TRS. And that's just it. So they're sending a TRS, which has to be, to, to be able to do what it does because it only sends so many words at a time. Right. But it may not be communicating TR, a, a, a MIDI then if it's just a TRS foot switch. Exactly. So what I'm thinking is, but you've only got tip, ring, and sleeve. Right, right. right. So you've got the six, you've got the ability to make the six words because you can go tip, ring, sleeve, tip, ring, sleeve, ring, tip, sleeve, ring, sleeve, right, whatever. Right. So you, you do have six words that you can send. The, the the thing that I um, that kind of uh, I'm like no matter how they're doing it it's just it, all it is is latching relays right that's it right right um, even if that's it, it. it may not even be latching I mean yeah it might be even momentary yeah I mean because all the amps has to say toggle it yeah so yeah um, and it doesn't care that that's right because it would only need to be momentary because it only sends toggle and then that's it. Because well, the amp doesn't know want to know, are you still in that? Piece? So you know the, now the you amp, know the crazy thing that a lot of people don't realize about switching like that? Those uh -huh. relays take time. They're not right. instantaneous. People people think those relays are instantaneous, like like it's just plug like plugging your cable in and, and all. It's not at all. Um no. in fact, if they were instantaneous, you would get a loud pop. And yep. they've been Different companies do it different ways, but they've been building in these delays so that right it won't pop, right? That's right. That's what I was going to say. And you can hear it when I switch the amp. You even using the MIDI, the relays in the amp have that that delay. Yeah, yeah. And then they switch, so the amp doesn't go pop. Right. Pop. Right. Now I can tell you, my Hughes and Kettner did. Yes. Pop. And that's probably when it so switched channels. It was a huge pop for, for Mesa. They have that problem too sometimes, and it really depends. But I know that there are various people out there who modify them so that that yeah. delay is longer, and they just you know extend yeah. it a couple milliseconds, and it's enough to it's enough to resolve the problem. But um, yeah, it's just it's just under what is it like three hundred milliseconds? Well, I like so people are talking about the AX8 right because I'm on the FM3 list yep. and I've been kind of trolling around the forums and stuff. And one of the big gripes yep. of the AX8 is like switching between presets. It takes about. 20 seconds or so or that there's dead time when you switch snapshots it's not called snapshots it's called something else scenes um that there's like right. a 20 millisecond cutoff between scenes and i laugh because i'm like 20 milliseconds isn't really that bad for for that kind of thing because first off if you hit it on the downbeat like you're supposed to you'll never hear it right. like it you'll never hear the cutout um but the other thing is that 20 milliseconds is like the smallest slap. It's a chorus. It's not even a slapback echo. It's a chorus. And these people are like, no, it's, that's a deal breaker for me. And I just kind of shake my head and I go, all of these devices are like that. That's, that's nothing new. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's been that way forever. Um, maybe these are people that have 
the you know the axe effects and they're like oh well there's no there's no switching gap there but then again your hardware on the axe effects is like a ferrari so i mean that's what always kills me about the axe effects is they have this insane level of hardware compared to like what's in the helix or the or the head rush but they still don't they, they, they with the insane level of hardware they're not head and shoulders better you really think about it, it's diminishing returns um unless you want to talk about the other things that those systems can do like the you know graphic equalization and all that that you could see on the display and those kinds of things yep. um which is something that line six should uh, fix so that we can all have input and output metering that would be nice um yeah which i believe is in their id scale software so you made the switch to boss right how do you feel about their effects versus the hx effects um how do i say this they're both digital right right so i'll say it that way and then uh it, it, it's it's easier for me to control sure um because there's four switches versus six yeah but probably the bigger thing um is Okay, so the snapshot thing was the only thing that, that kind of bugged me. So I can set up, because of the way this this also has like a scenes type thing. Yeah. I don't even know. They, they have another word for it there because everybody everybody puts their stamp on a word. Right. But the people I've heard of Some call day, them Someday they'll all call them snapshots. Right. But uh, you can double click these things. Um, so you can, you can click the button twice. Yep. To get into a, a quote unquote snapshot, so they call it CC num is the thing that they're using. To yeah, get their yeah. Current I'm configuration numeration or something like that, and uh, it's pretty cool because um, I don't have to put my foot down on two different places to get into snapshot mode to get over here to get to the snapshot. Yeah, mode. and when it goes into snapshot, it doesn't show me what I'm doing. There's a lot which, of like guffaws in the line six stuff that way. Yeah, even just to change patches. So like, if you haven't played with the Helix, I'm gonna I'm gonna break it down for you how it works. So when you turn the unit on, you're in stomp mode unless you've you know changed the preset default behavior. But stomp mode has a couple of things. You can get to the tuner. You can hold down one of the buttons to get into menu mode where you can actually go through and actually adjust parameters using the expression pedal, which is kind of cool. I haven't been a big fan of it, and I don't use it a whole lot. Um, I think you can also increment decrement with uh, two of the foot switches when you're in that mode and you've got an effect selected. Yeah. But that's that's the two main modes you're going to see available from stop mode. In addition to like turn on your overdrive pedal or turn on your as, as part of the digital rig that you've created. Um, to switch rigs, you have to hit the up or down foot switch and then scroll up or down using the foot switches to find where you're at. So I'm used to the way that Line 6 used to do it where you turn on the device and then that's all presets and you just hit a button to go to a preset. Right? right. And then there's no snapshots, none of that extra stuff. So in addition to stomp mode, there's also snapshot mode, which is basically like a saved preset of all the settings within a given rig that you've told it to, to maintain. And then you can actually right. like adjust this. So like you have different master volumes on different stomps, or you can have different effects on off for each stomp button that you have for the um in in snapshot mode so it's a cool thing to have because it, it increases the the um uh the programmability of the device but it's kind of a double-edged sword because it's like what you're saying jim 
that this is what I thought you were going to say, and this has been my gripe, but they're actually supposed to fix it in the next update, where the, stomp, the, the snapshots are global, which means that if I turn a delay right. on, I can't exclude that delay being on from the snapshot. So if I want to turn it on for all snapshots, I have to literally go into each snapshot and turn it on, which That's means right. you, you can't do it on the fly, and it doesn't nope. operate like a real rig in the sense that if you want this on all the time you, and then you just choose to only program these items Correct. Away you go. Um, they're appa apparently going to make it so you can exclude individual blocks. What they call blocks are really just effects. You can exclude each effects type um, and and specific instance away from the 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 uh, snapshot. So I, I'm waiting for that feature. I think it's going to be really cool. I hope that um, I don't have my Helix gone by that point because I think that that actually might be like a, an Axe Effects killer kind of feature for a while. Um, well, so there were a couple things that 2.8 was supposed to give us. Um, yeah. And that... I, had to, um, I actually have the, the list right in front of me. The changes in the snapshot. And the other one was to be able to change um, going in and out of... Um, uh, well, like you make a patch. You hey, Jim, I know you got this. But here's my patch. You could never share that patch with me because you have a Helix and I have an I had NHX specs. Now right. you can say, yep, you could I can share that patch with you. I know you can't sim simulate the amps, but I do have whatever features you have, it will load into your HX specs. So I could have loaded in the IR, I could have loaded in the um the, uh, and you know what? You're, you're absolutely right. But as I read, I'm reading through the new features from the firmware, and I've been doing it this afternoon. And one of the things that I read was that that, was, that feature set you're talking about right now is supposed yep. to be so that if you have both devices connected on the same machine, doesn't mean that I can export my patch and give it to you. And I, oh, well, that's actually, the, it doesn't actually say that. Now, I would think that that's the functionality they're going for, but that's not what it says. Well, that's what they said in their spiel at name. Now, so if that's if that's actually what they said, then I have a feeling they're they're going to deliver that functionality. Yeah. But there is some stuff in here that I find really kind of puzzling. So they are going to do DT twenty five and DT fifty support. So if you if you're a fan of the DT amps, like they're actually finally going to make that in because something people were complaining yeah. about. And a lot of people kind yep. of figured that there was a new DT amp in the wings, like a DT Helix or something like that. Um, yep. And I would not be surprised to find out that Line 6 actually axed that product and decided to just stick with the, the existing stuff because there was just wasn't any money in it. Um, right. And so, because really, for the Helix range of products, the, the companion cab is supposed to be the power cab. Like, that's, that's what that thing is for. Right, so the power cab plus is for people who don't have a Helix, who want to run their FRFR enabled device into the system. Correct, because that's got the amp. Modeling. Right, you got IR modeling in there. Yep. So, um, what? And that's not amp. It's just cab modeling. But but yeah, I get what. You're, that's what, yeah. That's what. I'm, so yeah. as I look through this today, there was another feature that was mentioned to me by someone else, and I have not found any. I have not found any supporting documentation that says that this is actually coming. So one of the comments was that the, that the HX stomp has 
right now it has six blocks. You can use six instances of effects oh, on it. Yep, I know what you're and saying. Go ahead. Somebody made mention that they were going to add two additional blocks and that the user interface, I think it was Jeff, um, that the that's user correct. interface didn't support it and that's why they didn't do it, which I said was a big, I, I, my immediate gut reaction to that, that's a big F you to people who bought the stomp, is that they, that's really a user interface problem, right? Well, I'm reading more about it, and I'm reading through the release notes, and there is no mention of them adding the additional two blocks, which is what was suggested by that by Jeff. Um, so I don't know if that's actually happening. That may have been in their talk and then not made it into the release notes. Maybe that's a future release thing, like 2.9. Um, but that 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 simple thing is the one thing that keeps me from selling my my main helix to get the stomp, is because. Six blocks is not enough for me to work with. It just isn't. Um, I don't care how the how when you figure there is. when you uh, figure one of those is going to be an amp, and one of them is going to be an IR. Now you've got four, right? And it really even with the four, like, I mean, I need a compressor after the cabinet model with with a lot of the uh, the cab models and the IRs I use. I I really like one of the compressors, and I feel like it's one of the killer features. And that was something else that was shown to me by Jeff was like, oh, check this out. And uh, via message, and I checked it out. And I was like, "Oh, yeah, that's like." It was like that was a big thing. Uh, so, I don't know. I mean, here, here's here's my problem with Line Six right now. Their products are getting expensive, right? Because they're all imported from China. And um, yep. so, what the 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 HX floor went up a hundred bucks. The HX stomp is sitting pretty at six six hundred. Is it six hundred six ninety nine? Five ninety. That's five ninety nine. The uh, the HXFX is also five ninety nine, correct? They're the same price. Um, That's correct. And then the LT is like eleven hundred or eleven ninety nine, right? So here's here's the issue, right? So Fractal is coming out with the FM three, priced to sell, not the MSRP, but this is what it's going to sell at nine ninety nine. It is not as powerful as the Helix Floor, but it is right. worlds more powerful. Than the stop, than the stop, right? And a lot of people say that the modeling over in the fractal world is better. I, I'm on the fence. I, I, I have to see the proof in the pudding, right? Um, so I'm not going to say that. But, but the weird thing about this whole shenanigans with Line Six's pricing is they basically now have priced themselves out of the realm of affordability for most for most bedroom musicians, which is if you, yeah, if you look at the current line. The stomp is the cheap. The 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 HXFX and the stops are the cheap models. Unless you go down to the HD uh, and the Fire Firehawk. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. The HD five hundred is last gen tech. The, yep, the, it's way last. The gen Firehawk, from what I understand, is the same tech as the HD five hundred. Wow. Just a different way of accomplishing the same thing, right? And it's Correct. kind of different user interface and all of that. Now, right. If I was going to buy a modeler right now, I wouldn't buy a Line 6 product at all, like the, the low-end stuff. Um, if I'm in the market for a professional-level modeler, I might look at Line 6. But you know what's really funny? So I, I poo-pooed them initially. Um, the, the, uh, their, their competitors, obviously, are, are Fractal and then Headrush, um, head which is where I'm going. And Kemper, right? Even though Kemper is yep. really kind of its own thing, it's very different than the other two. So Headrush has 
a couple of interesting products that have come out recently. So they have the most, world's most powerful looper and looper board. Yep. For all intents and purposes, just looking at it, that thing is silly powerful in terms of what you can do with it. Oh, that. But it's yeah. Really, if you want to do that looper thing, that live looper thing. Yeah, I mean, it, that's incredible. It's it's craziness. It, it you basically have a multi track recorder at your feet. Um, yeah, with with like a, a seven inch touch. Yeah, which just makes it, it that I much mean, more nuts. So if I was going to buy a smaller modeler right now, and I wasn't on the FM three list, I would be looking at the the gig board really hard. Yep, because it's yep. not expensive. I mean. But uh, let me get the price just so I can, just so I can bring it up. Six six fifty. So yep. it's fifty dollars more than the stomp, and yep. it does a lot more, and it has a better oh, user yeah. interface, yep. miles better. Oh yeah, it's got the seven inch um, uh, touch display. It has a touch screen, so but, you but can. You know what's great about the touch screen? As long as the screen stays intact, the thing's not going to break. Right. Um, it does have – it has a button, like a control knob thing, and then it has a master yeah. volume on it. Yeah. But it, I honestly, I was watching some videos of what the uh, the gig board can do. And, I mean, it's a pretty compelling argument. If if the, the FM3 doesn't work out for me, like as much as I thought the sound quality wasn't the best on the, um, the uh, gig – the uh, headrest stuff, I could work with it for an FRFR. Like yeah. as long as I've got a good amp, you know, and and an analog board waiting in the wings, which is that that's part of my my um GearFest goal is to figure out what I will need to finish off like an analog board to do what I'm doing. So I'm starting to pigeonhole myself into some genres, which is helpful because it at least gives you a defined type of gear you need, but um yeah. It, it it's also you could be it always feels kind of limiting to me because it's like well i don't feel like i should do this and whatever well you know for those those ampless uh gigs i was considering this and the stomp so and like you said this has got so if you look at the um uh the gig board you've got what is it four uh eight nine nine uh, you get nine effects, an amp model, effects. a cabinet yeah. model, does IRs. Yep. yep. Um, the only thing is it's not stereo, right? Um, right? Which may or may not matter to you. Most people who are doing these little gigs where they'd want one of these things are probably not running stereo anyway. Um, yep. It's got a built-in tuner. Obviously. Oh, no, it's got it's got stereo out. Uh, but the loop is not stereo. The loop is not stereo. Right. And that was somebody was complaining about that online. Yeah, effects loop. Yeah. yeah, that doesn't make sense. Really. And then, you know, has expression and all that. It could be used as an interface. Um, yeah. MIDI, of course, MIDI in and out. It can be used as a MIDI switcher, which I was reading about that today. Um, yeah. It is a four-core processor inside. Uh, if any of that techno technology stuff actually matters, um, I don't think that it does. I think the software here is still the limiting factor on everybody's hardware. Um I my gut feel because like Cliff from Fractal, like okay, so he's the guy that's really open and, and upfront about what his hardware is and like how they use it and stuff. He hasn't maxed out what they're currently using on the on the Axe Three. They barely, and so he reached the maximum on the Axe Two when the Axe Three firmware started. Right, 
So they actually right. ported over the Axe 3 firmware to the, the final update for Axe 2 last month, um, right. or March, something like that. Um, so it's a really compelling argument that, you know, like Line 6, the Helix is only four years old. It's dual core. Um, they're probably optimizing code with each update. So my assumption yep. is that they probably haven't maxed the hardware on that yet. Yeah, I do. And I'm willing to bet that the that the gig gig board headrest products are probably all the same thing, which is they're they're mm-hmm. not they're not really at the peak of uh, efficiency. So they're not using the hardware the, to the best of their ability. I still have some gripes with all this stuff though, since we're talking about FR, FRs. Um, yep. they're not analog through, which if you're going to use the you know all of these units come with a loop that you can patch a pedal into, right? But you're doing an AD conversion into the unit. You're doing an AD conversion out of the unit. You're doing an AD conversion on the way back in. And then you're doing an AD conversion out of the unit to the mixing board or your amp or whatever. And if you have any more connections in there, you can assume you're doing an AD in and out, right? Um, right. So each of those add latency. So we've talked about this on the show before, and, and I don't remember what the actual numbers were. But you can get into the point where it's like an actual delay. Um, enough so that it would be kind of like a chorus if you had your, your direct signal monitor. So when you think about it, why hasn't somebody come up with a better way to handle that? Like the Helix could do it a lot more efficiently. Any of them could do it more efficiently. Yes, you're not going to be able to escape the fact that when you use a loop, there's going to be an ADDA conversion, right? That's fine. I right. can accept that. Here's the thing. If you do it so that if it knows two loops are in line inside the software that it doesn't do an AD conversion and that, that the last thing that you send out is not going to go back into the software and do some more stuff, that shouldn't be an AD conversion. And that drives me nuts is they don't really care. They're like, well, if you're going to use it, it's, it's automatically going to add latency. We don't care. That's an inefficient use of the hardware and it's not good for the end user. So at some point, somebody's going to do that. And I, I look for Strymon. Strymon hasn't entered the game in this yet. Strymon's no. going to make an amp modeler. It's going to happen. And if it hasn't already happened in their labs, they're going to make an amp modeler. Right. It's going to blow the socks off of all of this stuff because that's who they yep. are, right? Like every- It'll be two days after I buy one. And it'll be two grand <laughs> or three grand. Yeah. But the thing yeah. is, it'll, it'll encompass all their big box pedals inside the, the modeler. And it'll be totally yeah. worth it for people to buy it. And people will be dumping their Axe effects to buy them. That's what'll happen. But the point is, one of the things they've always been big about is that analog drive-through. And the, and the killer feature on that is going to be the fact that if you do use their expression loops and all that stuff, that it won't require an AD conversion if they're parallel inside the unit. Right. And that, I mean, even the, even the Helix right now, I should be able to hit a button or hit two or three buttons together or something and get it to bypass but it won't. There's no analog drive-through in that box at all. And that's really, really odd. I, I just don't understand why these modelers haven't come up with something that allows you to do that yet. Um, I have seen some people who do, they, they put a bypass looper on their, on their pedal board. And so when they don't want any of the effects out of their modeler or, you know, either effects modeling device, they press this button and then it reroutes their signal and goes direct. Um, which is, fine I, I i think actually that would probably shock people as how much tonal impact you have running through one of these devices 
So I've had my I'm I'm I think I'm almost to two years on my helix right now. Um yep. and I've had some various conversations with people about different things that the helix allows you to do. Um a couple of people are in the group, a couple of people are listeners of the show. Um and one of the one of the th- complaints was the HXFX did not have the ability to adjust the input impedance. Now, first off, you're not actually adjusting the input impedance, right? When you plug into this thing, you go through a buffer that's part of the AD conversion process. It's a high quality buffer because they need that that F, that dynamic range, um, but it, it's going to basically co- treat your guitar as if it were a one meg signal. So it's not going to load your pickups or anything like that, like you would with a with a um, an old fuzz pedal or something like that. So you're not going to have tonal loss from that. What you're going to have tonal loss is from the, the AD conversion process itself, um, and then of course the quality of your AD converters varies there, but. When I went into my Helix and the HXFX didn't have this, you couldn't do the impedance adjustment. I cannot believe they designed their product so that I have to actually match impedance with the first pedal in the chain so that that pedal would load down or whatever. That is completely asinine to me because if so that, you know, the pedal I love the most, right? The fuss face. That is one of those pedals that you need the pickups to be loaded. Otherwise it doesn't sound right. And, um, right. It came up in, a, in another group talking to somebody, uh, and, and actually Jason Puzzmonger was there as well. And he mentioned that, you know, we were talking about the DOD 250. Well, I don't think the DOD 250 is one of those pedals that has like the crazy input and imp- input impedance issues. But I do think that, um, it may play a factor in, in another individual who was like, oh, I don't really like the way that it sounds inside the, they were using a Helix Tom. And I mentioned adjust the input impedance. If it's if it's not warm enough, chances are that pedal doesn't normally see a one meg load. So, right. and the comment was made, of course, Jason mentioned, and he's right, that one meg is n- neutral for most people because it gives you the most trouble. But it's not accurate with some of these pedals. And right. that's an issue because, so the Helix is set up to be smart enough that if you don't adjust the input impedance value, It'll be set to auto, and it'll adjust for the first pedal in the chain. But I don't want it to set for the first pedal in the chain. I want all the pedals to work properly together. And if that means that the blocks need a special if statement in the code that says, if, if this pedal is next to it, then do this, Like that's what I want. I want it to work right. I don't want it to work like a warts and all type situation. Like... The, the the whole advantage to doing digital modeling is not so that you can get the the identical functionality. You want the sound, not the functionality. I'm sorry, but right. if my if my amplifier sounds like it's gonna fart, that nobody nobody wants that. So, I mean, I know I'm generalizing. Yeah. There probably yeah. is somebody out there that wants that sound, right? But who are you designing yeah. for? Are you designing for the 99% of people who don't care about that, or are you designing for the 1% who does? Like exactly. That that's where I'm 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 still flabbergasted about all this modeling stuff. And it's not just line six, they're all guilty of doing it to some extent. Where, you know, oh, this delay pedal, when you do it this way, like it's gonna self-oscillate. Now I know that's the worst example because people actually like self-oscillation in a lot of cases, but I'm just saying mm-hmm. that's one of those features that you should be able to turn on or off. And right. they did do that with certain stuff in the Helix, like um the fuzz factory model, right? Everybody knows it self-oscillates. I really wish um, Robert Jackson was online with us right now because we know he looks, likes that fuzz face model so much. 
<laughs> um, the fuzz factory, which I will probably yep. call the fuzz face like three times in this discussion, but it's a fuzz factory. And, and it has a switch on it for self-oscillation in the, in the helix. I wish the right. real pedal <laughs> had a switch on it for self-oscillation because that would make things so much easier. Um, and I think that they got it right there. So why didn't they turn off in the like ignore impedance in the, in the fuzz face? Because the the big complaint, Bill Rand, he's a Facebook he's a, a Facebook group member of ours. He he's a guy that that wants a good fuzz face sound out of the out of the HX effects. And I can tell you yep. that the model they have is super good because I they beat him right. I put my right. I put my fuzz face in the loop. And then we went back and forth, and I EQ'd it. And I didn't EQ it. I take it back. I adjusted the model just right with the right impedance value, and they were identical. I mean, you could, you literally could not tell the difference. It was insanely good. Now, granted, yep. I still got the crappy AD conversion going on. But you could tell that, like, if in, in ideal conditions, if the real world operated this way, they would be identical. And, and for sonically, to whoever was sitting there, they were identical. Um, my wife heard it. Other people heard it and they were like, and I asked him, can you tell the difference between this and this? And then I would double blind it. And so what I would do is sometimes I wouldn't switch. I'd hit the same foot switch, right. you know? So I, I, I eventually got to the point where I realized they can't tell a difference. Um, right. And, and I couldn't tell a difference. I had my wife come over and hit the switches and I couldn't tell a difference. So that's when I realized, yeah, it does a good job, but it has to be set up in a super specific way to do it. Why can't it just right. work that way? Like, I don't understand. Right why you would program esotericism in it. The whole reason for these things is so we don't have to be esoteric anymore. Right. You want to be esoteric, go buy the real pedal because you're never going to accept that this modeler is going to sound like the real deal anyway. Like that. And and that's what I'm trying to get at. And that's where I'm, where I'm going with this. So I'm, I'm at the point where I don't understand why the modeling world is so dead set. On, on making stuff that's never existed before, or that, that's always existed, like like vintage tube amps and stuff like that. We have the power at our feet right now. To do something different. To do something, to do something modern, original. different, original, based on you know yep. sounds of yesteryear or whatever you want to do, but to give you more functionality. But we're too right. worried about whether it's warts and all. Well, okay. I can take that to uh, a discussion we've had before, and that's the Les Paul. Somebody gets a Les Paul and goes, oh, my God, if I pull this switch, I get single coil, and I don't want that. Well, then don't pull that switch. And then all of a sudden it becomes I mean, that, oh, well, that switch is, is doing something to the tone. Yeah, which it doesn't. No, it's all that. in your head. Exactly. And, and it's like um, it's like the doctor said, whenever I do this, the doctor said it, or, or I mean it hurts. And I asked the doctor, what should I do? And he said, don't do that. I mean, it's the same thing. You know, we're, we're in a world of people who are so dead set and they're, and you cannot tell me that there isn't some kind of like, um, uh, what do you call it? A placebo effect that, or reverse placebo effect, whatever you want to call it when, oh my God, if I, if, if I have that in my switch, it can't possibly sound as good. You will not get two guitars sound the exact same way. Oh, I had I had a pissing match discussion with somebody about that this morning. Guitar, yeah. guitar two guitars, same model, right? Get them off the wall, get them right. down, play it. I don't even care. So, like, I'm not even talking about maple neck versus rosewood neck. I'm saying take two identical guitars, same color. Right. I don't even care what color right. it is. 
And, and you sit <laughs> down and you plug them into the same amp with the same yep. cable. And guess what? That's You're right. going to get a one to 3% they difference. That's right. You will, you will hear differences. So why can't people accept the fact that there are just, if you took, if you took, if you had the money to buy two real life 59 Les Pauls or 63 Strats yeah. or 54 um, Telecasters, and you were to sit down with those, um, those guitars, and plug them into the same rig, the, the two that came from each of the same year, and so they're not going to sound exactly alike. That's what makes no. it different. That's the reason that that um, you know Greeny was Greeny. You know that that Les Paul. It was that way because that was the guitar. It was that one. Yeah. None of the other ones sound well, the same. When and it was way less Gilmore, consistent back then. It was even right? more of a, of a like disastrous consistency, right? Exactly. And 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 we still have those differences today. Which is my which is my point. Those differences aren't as as exaggerated. Clearly, like you're not going to find a Les right. Paul that sounds like a Strat today. Back then, no. it's possible, you know. Um, yep. And and we, I, we've seen it. I mean, here's a perfect example, right? Having a discussion about Cliffs of Dover the other night, um, and that song everybody thinks was recorded on a Strat, partially, right? The intro is yes. a Strat. The rest of the song is an ES three thirty five. Yep. Which is which is a whole like, huh? You mean that classic oh. Strat sand was a three thirty five? No, with a dumble. Now yeah. I know people fight me on that one, but but it's a dumble. Like it's clearly a dumble. If you've ever heard a dumble, that's a dumble. If you heard a dumble clone with it with a reverb and delay on it, you know what that sound is. That is very much a dumble on that record, and he has denied it. And he, everybody knows he's had one. You could see it in his rig, um, and from from pictures back in the day. There was a there's an old forum over on Hugh, or an old uh, forum post on Huge Racks Inc. with one of his educational videos, and they and like literally circled the dumbbell in the background, and and it was running. You could it was on, so that's how you know like he had a dumbbell. Yep. No big deal. Right. Who cares? You know, for Eric. Why would he deny and it? For maybe he doesn't remember, and that and that's what I've always. Wondered. That's true. And that's what I've always. That's wondered. true. Yeah. Was that he he doesn't remember, or maybe he's more upset because he can't get that sound anymore because he sold it or something. And that's a possibility yeah. too. So as legend yeah. has it, Eric Johnson's the guy that turned Stevie Ray Vaughan over to Dumble as well. Yeah. So that because they were all like all three of those guys, Billy Gibbons, Eric Johnson, Stevie Ray Vaughan, there was somebody else from that that time period. They were all really close friends. Like they were hanging out together. The famous wah pedal that that uh, Jimi Hendrix used at some festival in Texas got given to Billy Gibbons, and Billy Gibbons gave it to Jimmy Vaughn, and Jimmy Vaughn gave it to Stevie Ray, and like, th there's all kinds of stories like that. So obviously they were right. you know all hanging out together and stuff, and you right. know that they were talking shop, and you know that Eric was like, yeah, I got this this amp, you know, and it was really good, and like I think you might want to look at it. Um, yeah. So my point is that. Uh, warts and all like we don't even know what's on these records so that's what i'm saying maybe it's right. time for them to turn over the ability for us to like make our own amp models to us yeah <coughs> and we yeah you can kind of do that right the kemper sort of but i don't mean like modeling real kinda. world equipment i'm yeah I know. i'm I know more like uh so there is a company that does this already right jim 
bias. Mm -hmm. Okay. You right. can go into bias and you can tweak a lot of parameters that you cannot tweak on a given tube amp. Like right now, um, bias, for example, I can open up and I can say, I want to use this type of tube and I want to bias it this way. And I want to use this kind of rectification and like, you can get pretty granular with it, but it's not the same as like designing a tube amp from scratch in a digital right. realm. And I obviously, nobody's really going to have the wherewithal to understand how all that stuff works. So they're going to have to give it as, they're going to have to invent a new user interface. that gives us the ability to, to express things that are really kind of nonsensical. I mean, think about it. Think about the terminology we used to talk about tone, dark tone, bright right. tone, brown sound. Like all these things are like visual metaphors for something that is not visual at all. Um, or when we talk about, and I've said this a lot, like an amp plays like a wet rag, like saturation, sag. All of these terms don't really encompass, you know, the things you would be able to use to design an amp. Um, and it's so funny because they're just tech, they're industry jargon, right? Um, but you know, right. you know, behind the scenes, the guys at Marshall or you know any of the, the big amp companies, like they have real terms that they use to describe these things so that they can communicate about the engineering and like why this is being done and stuff. Um, and I don't know that that stuff ever makes out in the wild. Maybe these are the actual terms. Um, but it just seems to me, that, <laughs> it just seems to me like the, the process by which you would actually create an amp model or, or yep. to create that kind of sound for a user would have to be a lot more intuitive. You ever play with You play with an analog synthesizer before, right? I have attack and decay and all those different things. I could see that kind of modeling being more towards the synth side of things than, you know, your typical, oh, we're going to use 6L6s or 6V6s to structure the sound. And that's why I think things like Nextone from, from um, Boss have really kind of hit the mark in some ways because they, they use things that we already know how to refer to to do things in software that are similar to real-world phenomenon but not necessarily trying to capture the same sounds. Um, the yep. Line 6DT is another perfect example because though you can configure the, you know, you can say Class A with a high gain preamp, it's not like Class A with a dual rectifier preamp. Per right. se, it's very similar, but you, you get you get my point. You're kind of designing well, your own sound. Uh, yeah, I think that um, if I bust in for just a second, that that people are afraid. Some people are afraid. To have their own sound. Oh yes, it's yes. like it's like. Well, I don't sound like this, or I don't sound like that. Instead of I want to sound like me, but what is that sound? Um, those are those are the other tone chasers. Chasers, but the problem is if you have if you have um, a sound, a tone, something that you're looking for. Personally, I don't think it should be based on something you heard on the radio because I've, I've said this before. It's your interpretation of what you hear. Your hearing is going to be different from my hearing. I'm going to hear different frequencies, different ways than you are. We all do. And it's it's the same as perception of color. Any artist, anybody that's been in artistry, you know, visual visual arts, um, that, that's the same thing. Your brain processes sound differently. We all do. And some of us, uh, and that's why sometimes I see those guys on, um, and gals on, on the internet that play, like they'll say, look at me, I can play really fast. And they play really sloppy, really fast. Yeah. And they go, see, it's just as good as. And I'm like, no. no. But 
they may not hear the differences we do. No, exactly. Exactly. They don't perceive, right? They don't have a perception, so they don't hear it. And then, and 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 I know because I know I'm gonna be I'm gonna be playing next to you in a couple of weeks, and I'm gonna be going, "Wow, I truly suck as bad as I think I think I do." And then, but um, when I um, when I do that, I'm looking, you know, I'm looking to learn some stuff from you guys. So um, (laughs) the big the big thing is that uh, I I take what I take from that. Um, and those and those uh, things that that I, I get to you know experience is that um, you like um, when you hear a, a fast guitar line, you hear things I would never hear. I I could hear if I slowed it down a little bit, took some time. Yeah. Then as I speed it back up, I go, oh that's what that was because I hear something. I'm like I don't quite know what that is. But, clever segue. Sorry, C- clever segue. Yeah. Go ahead. So. Um, I want to, I want to finish up this, this kind of conversation with a little bit more on the topic and then I'm going to segue over. So you're talking about the distinction of being able to hear stuff. I think a lot of players who, who chase tone, um, they start with an archetype, right? So they're like, I like the Brown sound, but I want it X. And that means that, you know, it's like, for me, it's like, I like Petrucci sound, but I want it punchier and less, less smooth, you know? And so... I think that's a big way that people get into sounds is like they rationalize it towards things they already like, but they lack the knowledge to really. And I think it's super hard to create something from scratch. Right. They can't dial it in. Well, um, no, they just don't have we, that we sound were, in their head to begin with. They have to have something right, we were to talking, start from. Yeah. Uh, we were talking on a Patreon thing earlier. I, I'm rel- when I say relatively, I mean, I haven't, I didn't use pedals at all yeah for decades and so when somebody handed me a pedal my first you know when i when i was given a pedal that was outside of a distortion pedal everybody's had distortion pedal right distortion pedals are distortion pedal. the first time i got a pedal that wasn't a distortion pedal i got it handed to me i went what the heck am i supposed to do with this where do i put it what do i do with this yeah i didn't i didn't know how to dial yeah. it in I didn't know what anything meant. I, I looked at it like you're just like everything on ten. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I was like, I I could figure it out. Oh, tone. I know what tone is. Oh, level or gain. I got that. What if what if but, you, the, the the tone knob <laughs> magically like dialed into your brain and then like this is the tone you want <laughs> and the more you turn right. it up, the more it got closer to that. <laughs> but I think I think what happens, um, especially uh, in today's society with a little less um, patience. Can I use that word? Uh, Where people go, all right, I want the tone from this pedal. So they they run out, let's say they buy the Wampler Paisley Deluxe. I want to get that Wampler Paisley Deluxe sound that I heard that this person did. Right. So they run out and buy the pedal, bring it home, plug it in, they put in their guitar and they put it in their amp and they go, man, that doesn't sound anything like that. Yeah, because, well, that was the other thing. So I was... um, so watching a video today and somebody was playing through really, re- really an expensive rig. And they were, yep. this is, you know, this is great. Like this tone is just as good as this. And I'm like, you're not a good enough player at this point to even really be able to know the difference. And right. that's why you think this is great. But I'm, but I just kind of thinking like in three years or five years, if you play an hour a day, you're going to be like, what in God's name was I thinking? You yep. know, I hear it. I hear it and I see it all the time in in uh, 
tone well in, in forums and stuff where somebody will buy a guitar and they'll be like, it's just as good as. And then six months later, man, yeah. I cannot stand it. Yeah. Or you know well, I mean? or they or they they end up buying the real deal, right? Um right. So along with we were talking a minute ago about um I'm having a moment. We were talking a minute ago about acclimating your ears to to understand different playing types, right? Because I was watching a documentary. It's on um, it's on Amazon Prime, and I, I forget what it was called, but it was a, it's really not a good documentary, right? But Paul Gilbert was in it, among other people, and uh, he was talking about um, when guys like Ingve debuted. You know, he was a kid at that time because um, yeah. he he got popular right after Ingve showed up, but he was only like fifteen years old, right? Um, right. So he's sitting in his house, and he's like, "Oh, I had a I had a like a four track tape deck or whatever." And he's like, it had the ability to speed things up. And he's like, so I wanted to be better than Ingbe. You know, like I heard Ingbe and I was like, wow, that guy's really fast. But he's like, when I could start to figure out how to play it, he's like, that's when I got my tape player and I sped it up. And he's like, not so I could play along with it, just so I could listen to it at higher speed so I could acclimate myself to what that would sound like. And, and that, that goes right to the core of what you're talking about, which is yep. that he was acclimating himself to what that actually sounds like. Now, yep. that's a core component of how you become a better player too is if you want to learn how to do something, immerse yourself in it. Don't don't shy away from it. If you want to learn to play flamenco, buy every flamenco record from every flamenco master you can get your hands on and listen to them nonstop. You will eventually acclimate right. yourself, your ear to the point where you really won't need to know the scales per se, like as in and out because you'll know that the, you'll know that the intervallic phrases and the way that your, your ear is shaped like you'll naturally start to to you know reach for those things, um, and you know so that's 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 my my big takeaway from from that conversation is that um, even though that we were talking about how this applies to gear, it's kind of the same deal. People acclimate themselves to things before they start coming up with their own sounds. But I never heard somebody who came completely out of the blue. Like no guitar player comes completely out of the blue. It's there. No. Like even Robert Fripp, who is on another planet has influences and you can hear those influences. You just have to know who they are. And that's my point is that, um, we acclimate ourselves and that's how we, that's how we feel through the world. But what I was suggesting they do in the modeling world is like, give us the tools to create our own environment. That may not be something that's really even ever going to work because we have no, no, like, um, we have no, uh, foundation. Benchmark. Right. Okay. So now let's, let's move on. So we talked about Paul Gilbert just a second ago. I got to see Paul Gilbert with, uh, with Jeff this week. Now, right. This was significantly different than going to see him with Mr. Big. Um, it's Paul Gilbert doing the Paul Gilbert thing and different than the Paul Gilbert thing was even two years ago. Right. So right. he's got a new album right. out. Um, it's been out since I think like last September or something. And I don't have it sitting in front of me, but, you can go look it up on iTunes. It's his most recent. One. Is that the one that's got the song uh, um, Use Your F and Blinker? No, or that's the one before it, this. That's the one before. Okay. He's no longer singing. Okay. Oh, um, interesting. But he's made a big shift. So his new his new model guitar, and I think I think even the Ibanez signature has this, now has a place on it for a slide, a magnetic thing where his slide can go. And so he uses it on virtually every song. And what he's doing is instead of the vocal part, 
He's grabbing his slide and he's doing play, wow. playing the vocal part with his slide. And I'm not just talking about, you know, songs that he's written. Right. I'm talking about things like um, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Uh, he played mm-hmm. Funk 49. Um, and he knows these melody lines for the, for the, for the, um, like inside and out. He's a walking jukebox. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you would never think that he knew like the vocal part, like right. every note of it. And he does. And it's, so the show itself, if you, if you get the money to go and like, he comes to your town, go, do not, do not think about it. Just go because right. um, what you're seeing is a guy who a lot of people would say is kind of aged out of this industry doing something completely new. And right. he is, he's got one of the best, he's probably the best band he's ever had. And that means a lot because he's had Mr. Big and he's had Racer X and it's a jam band and they'll go out and right. they'll play these tunes and, and the drum groove coming off those drums is just stupidly deep. And well, he hasn't got, he, who's he got playing bass with him? Um, Cause uh, she is Mr. out playing yeah. bass with, uh, with Reservoir Dogs or whatever it is, Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Uh, Billy Sheehan. So he's got. Uh, you're talking about Billy Sheehan is is the. Yeah, that's yeah. Him. So I don't know who's in his. Um, I'm gonna look and see if I can find out while we're talking, who is in his current, um, band. His current album is Behold Electric Guitar, by the way. What kind of um, amps was he using? Oh, uh, he has he ha- <laughs> he has a JMP one, and yeah. he has a Marshall Plexi. That nice. is his sound, and they're split between the two, and they're running stereo into a cab. And he's got pedals on the floor. There's not an FR, FR device in sight. And he sounds stellar. Um, yeah. And it, part of it's just he's got this naturally developed ear. But it, the other part of it is it's just like he's using a dirt simple rig and he knows how to use it right. He, he yeah. used to be known for like super balls to the wall, high gain, almost yeah. incoherent except for the you know the pick attack. And now he's playing like relatively low gain blues players might play with more gain than he does sometimes. Like it's, it's to that level where it's, I could see. Yeah. And he still does all the ridiculous guitar stuff. He can do, you know, pretty much anything with a guitar that he wants to at this point, but going to see him and seeing him do his thing. My, my takeaway was not that, Oh, he's fast or anything. Like it's like, what an incredible groove this guy has. Like yeah. just, just floored. Yeah. And I've listened to the record before I went, but I was like, yeah, it sounds kind of like his other records. But when you hear the band doing it live, you're like, now I get it. And it just, it all clicks yeah. into place. And I'm like, wow, this guy's got it right now. He's, he wrote the best album of his career. I mean, honestly, without a doubt, the best album of his career. And then, yeah. so we get to see him and we got to see him in like an empty house. Right. There was right, almost right. nobody there. Uh, I, you could probably, it was probably less than 150 people. Right. And, um, the cool part about it was, I think because the show was smaller, because I've been watching other footage of, of different shows, he was explaining to us the lyrics of some of the songs because he actually right. wrote lyrics to everything and then just didn't, pl- didn't sing them. He just played them on guitar because it allowed him to, to build the songs in a, in a coherent logical way. And some of the songs are just hilarious. Like I own a building. And I, I think he told that story somewhere for that song. But basically, it was this guy that they were doing a Mr. Big uh, video. And this guy walked him around the building, was showing it off. And then he wrote a song about this guy who loves this building. 
and the lyrics to it, I don't know if he's ever going to reveal what the lyrics are completely, but it, I, I cracked up when he told the story because there was some risque language and stuff in there. And <laughs> he compared his building with his genitals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> how surprising. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I'm sure Paul thought that was hilarious and I have to agree with him. But um, you know, Paul's not young. No, no, he's my age. Yeah. And he's still killing it, and he looks good. Matter of fact, I think he's just a little bit younger than I am. Possibly, he might be a few years. Yeah, old. he is sixty. He was born in sixty-six, so he's a couple years younger than me. So he'll be fifty-three this year. I mean, I I don't know if his current signature model is coming with a little slide thing, but that is one of the coolest features I've ever seen on a guitar, because he's playing slide and he's literally just flicking his hand and throwing it on the thing and it catches it and you're like yeah how the hell did you just do that you know um and of course there's there's some really good guitar dynamic stuff in the set you know he does his he does a little bit of stunt guitar in there he does um while my guitar gently weeps and he actually mashes it up with uh scarified and um one of the other one of the other racer x tunes and it is jaw dropping and i mean it's like nine minutes long he gets he gets to the point where he's like just going off and you're just standing there like what in God's name am I watching? Um, and I, I, we walked out and I told Jeff, I was like, yeah, I was like, you come out of a Paul Gilbert show. You're just like, why didn't I give up years ago? <laughs> and I, and I, he has a completely yeah. different reaction. He's completely inspired. And, and, and I agree. Like I do feel inspiration from that. Cause I, anytime I feel down, like first thing that comes to mind is like, how do I get there? Um, but yeah, I also feel kind of defeated cause it's like, I could try my ass off, but I'm probably never going to get there. I mean, he's he's just on another level right now. And and like I said, if you if you like guitar, I don't even care if you're into instrumental music. You're going to like the show. It's it is that good. Um, I mean, I've seen other people that I'm like, eh, I wouldn't take anybody else to go see this. But um, him and Buckethead are two people that are like, you could sell them to pretty much anybody. Yeah. So hopefully the next show I'll be attending is either going to be Dweezil Zappa in September or Iron Maiden in August. So, um, yeah, it looks like the next decent show that I'll be able to attend is Joe Bonamassa. Uh, did you, you got tickets for that already? August. Yeah. It's the guitar event of and the that, year. Didn't you hear? I mean, that looks well it for this area. It is, it's unfortunate, but, um, you know, the closest Paul Gilbert's going to get to here is three hours. Yeah. Um, it's just not realistic. Well, just keep your eyes peeled for him because he he uh, tours pretty frequently. Paul tours yeah, probably twice a year. So yeah, it's it's just that we don't get we don't get much down here. I know it sucks. Um, yeah, it's like I I understand because being on the bit having been on the business side of this enough times to know that it's just not easy. You you sit down and. Uh, uh, Booking agents uh, contact clubs, and clubs aren't booking oh, oh, bands. I completely forgot about this. Jeff wrote about this. You were talking about booking agents, the opening act. Jeff wrote a, a blog oh, article yeah. about how bad this opening act was. I'm not going to say their name. I actually yeah. sort of know the guitar player in this band. Um, mm-hmm. He's he's a local guy, and I you know what? For what he does. It's not bad. Right. I have 
some thoughts on him and I'm not going to talk about him directly. So we're not going to, we're not going to go down that road, right. but um, the band, I could not believe they were the opening act for Paul Gilbert. Like, I'm like, what is, huh? What? And it was a cover yeah. band. Number one, as an opening act. Yeah. I remember him saying that. Okay. Which, which is not, that's not surprising to me. It is. And it isn't. So Arcata has, basically a role and i described as a rolodex of local cover acts not local cover acts but just local bands i've seen probably seven or eight shows out there now and i have never seen a cover act out of any of their openers right and usually what they try to do is they try to match somebody up genre wise locally right so that's the norm when i went to see um Ingve Ghost. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, Ghost. <laughs> I haven't seen Ghost. When I went to see Ingve there, uh, they had like this local shred band, right? And right. that fits, right? Shred band with Ingve. Sounds perfect. Right. Match made in heaven. Yeah. Um, they picked a like an 80s metal tribute band, um, playing okay. like thrash metal for Paul Gilbert, who then comes out and plays a set of like Southern Rockish to you know like jazzy blues kind of music right um it doesn't really get into the shred metal territory at all not anymore he's i mean i i I love metal but he's surpassed it he's gotten to the point where it's like that's boring now because for him go listen to racer x you'd be hard pressed to find a guitar player in the metal community even today that can play all those tunes because that band was just crazy like it was a once in a lifetime thing and so it's you know they've moved on from that. No, my, my point right. being that um, this band, the, the genre didn't match. That that's the first thing. The professionalism did not match, and that was the thing that was heartbreaking to watch. So, yeah. guitar player first song breaks two strings, takes his guitar, oh, throws it in a case, gets another guitar out of a case, tunes it up. In back back behind the amp, like in the corner, you can watch him tuning, right? And then comes out, comes up to the microphone after about five <coughs> minutes and apologizes, then hits another couple chords, tunes some more, and then gives a signal and then downbeat for the next song. I mean, it literally took him 10 minutes to get a second guitar going. And that's what it felt like. If I was on stage, I would be like, oh my God, this is horrible. Because at least in my mind, it wouldn't be asked back. Like that's, you know, that's how that would go. And then about four songs in, he invites this other guitar player out. We're like, what? And it was a woman, which was fine. I don't care about that. That makes no difference. But it was like, it was like the trophy act kind of thing. Right. And I was like, this is, this is appalling. And maybe that's his girlfriend. I don't know. I mean, that's why I said, I'm not getting in the middle of that. And there were other members in this band who I've actually seen in other bands while we've been doing the show um, that have played with other artists, one of who was featured on the show. Um, and it was just, it was a really strange scenario and it, it felt really unprofessional. If I was Paul, I'd be kind of frustrated because I'd be like, you know, you guys could have got somebody who was a local draw. Right. And, and the, the show was obviously undersold. I mean, um, I felt kind of silly because I paid like, 29 bucks per ticket um and we you know didn't have great seats i got seats in the back corner because that's usually what i do 
I get cheap tickets right. and then I get out of the way. So I'm not in the middle of, you know, <laughs> ruining everybody's day. Um, but we ended up sitting at the front of the balcony and we probably could have gone downstairs. There was nobody down there. So right. it, it was just a weird show. And I, I, I although I'm not going to complain because I think we got special treatment because it was a weird show like that. We got to see things right. we normally see and um, right. it's kind of cool, but just hear things. you wouldn't Don't, if you're going to be an opening act, let this be a lesson to everybody on the show. And, and if the, that band is actually listening to this, I I'm, I'm really sorry that I'm talking about this, but I, I'm going to use your example and I'm going to try to be constructive about it for everybody that's listening. And, and for you too, if you're listening, um, have your spare tuned up, like just do it. Have your spare out of the case, have a guitar stand backstage somewhere. Like I, I get, get a sturdy one. If you're concerned about it falling over or something, but have a guitar stand somewhere. And then just grab it and go. Like it's not a big deal. Everybody, everybody has to go through those things. And like nobody wants to be the guy that, oh, I need my spare. Like this is gonna take some time. And um, and then the other thing is, if you have a secondary guitar player and they're gonna come out for a couple songs, it's fine. But don't have them play through a Marshall MG. No one can hear that. I don't care if it's mic'd yeah. up. Oh, it's good not Lord, cut. No. And and that's what happened here. They just did not cut. You couldn't hear it in the mix. I don't care how much EQ you apply. You're not going to get that amp to cut in the mix. It's not going to happen, especially when your main guitar player is playing through a 2x12 5150. So we had a guy, local guy, he opened for Bob Seger, and uh, he's a blues guy, so it worked. Uh, Bob Seger and Bruce Springsteen was backstage as well. Um, first of all, when you're um, for those who have done the openers, you, know, you probably know this already, but typically you're given a little piece of stage, uh, yeah. You're not paid, or you're paid very little, right? Um, for an opening act, unless you're a touring opening act. Yeah, we're talking about the local opening act is usually for the publicity, so it's it's a little harder to get an opening act unless you're really a fan of like the guy that I'm talking about. He he was a fan. Yeah, he wanted so to do it. Like super he bad. wanted to do it, and I don't even know. I, I we didn't ask about money or anything like that. But um, my point is um, that. It's your it's your chance to show people in the audience. That's why you're there. How good you sound, whether you're being paid a few hundred bucks or nothing, it's your opportunity. So you want to come out, like you said, with with everything shiny. Um, you may not have stage room for a spare guitar, but you should sure as crap have a stage or a spare somewhere. Yeah, even if it's just um, in the case tuned up, like that's the worst case right. scenario. Right. It, it should never take you that kind of time to get ready, especially if you know that you've got tuning issues, whether it's because you had a Floyd or a floater or whatever. No, and that's the, or, that was not the case. It was a hardtail, I believe. Oh, that's even more. Yeah. So it's, it's, I can change a string in 35 seconds on any of my hardtails. Um, and I could change a string in less than a minute on the, on the strat. So I don't know. Um, yeah. that's where Jim's you should the be. Jim's sitting there with a stopwatch. I can just see it. It's just like, the Oh, I can, just some right. I, matter of fact, I should do that. I, I would do dude, You should. That um, would be great. YouTube content. Yeah. It takes me longer to do that old telly, um, style bridge because the old telly style bridge, you got to bend the string then put it in a certain yeah, way yeah, yeah, yeah. over the thingy. You know what I'm talking about? Right. <clears throat> First time I did one of those, I was like, how the hell do I get the string on this thing? I can't get it. it it's not a through brick. What is this? It doesn't go through the body. Yeah, but anyway, um, so it it's just those things. I think we've talked about them before, so I don't want to overhash it. But 
you've got to make use of the parts of the stage that you're given. You've got to make you've got to make darn sure that you're you're going out there and you're doing the best you can. I doubt very much Paul Gilbert called the place and said, "Get a really crappy opening band. That way they really like me when he I get probably out. just like they just came in and they were like, "You guys arrange the show. You find an opening right. act. We don't know anybody in that area." Right, right. Which is funny because Nita Nita Strauss has been opening up for them everywhere else. Which you, yeah, you want to talk about a mismatch? Him. Nita Strauss here's, and Paul Gilbert, the way he sounds now. <laughs> here's what's funny. You mentioned that, but a guy that's in the group went to that Nita show yeah. in Indianapolis around the same time you were at the Gilbert show in Chicago. Yeah. So she must have had a different. Uh, She's got a different trajectory. So yeah. I guess they did a couple of dates together, a couple of weeks together, and then they split and they're going to do something else. Or the maybe yep. the remainder of his dates are house supplied, opening acts or something like that. Um, Could be. I don't know. I don't care. It's not a big deal. Um, I don't know. It's a good show. If you, if you get a chance to go, I recommend it. Um, but there's one last thing I wanted to talk about tonight, and this is you may not have as much info, and in you probably do. To be honest with you, you probably do. So um, let's talk about microphones tonight. Sure. Just let's, let's spend 15 minutes to kill the end of the episode and talk about microphones. So for guitar amps, right, the microphones you use, typically you're going to find your SM57, your E906, E609, you know, those two from Sennheiser. You're going to find an MD241, which I believe is also Sennheiser. Um, those are common dynamic microphones that you would use for a guitar amp. Now, I, it's it's come up because I, I know we have some people that listen to the show who are like, they're into streaming and stuff like that. And there are a lot of companies marketing condenser microphones from from other like people who don't really make microphones. Okay, um, and I wanted to take a moment to really kind of talk about what goes into a microphone and why people are willing to pay a hundred, two hundred, three hundred, a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand dollars for microphones. So. I guess the fir the first way to start is to talk about guitar microphones, right? So what are we dealing with with the guitar cabinet? We're dealing with high SPL levels coming off speakers, which means that the diaphragm, which is the actual physical component of a microphone that moves, like a pickup, it's the string part of the pickup, right? And then there's a magnet in there just like a pickup that picks up the movement of the diaphragm, and then it gets amplified. So it uses the same principles of induction and all that stuff that a, that a guitar pickup uses. It's essentially the same thing except you have a transducer or whatever inside the, the dynamic microphone. And of course, obviously, obviously there's two different types. There's dynamic condenser, or there's three different types, dynamic condenser and um, ribbon, right? I think yep. there's other ones on top of that. There's like Electret and yep. weird type of microphones. Um, yeah, but for the most part, those are the three. You're going to run into those three normally, right? And you're not going to run into ribbons on stage. Right. Typically, you won't be on stage with a ribbon mic. And that's because ribbon mics are incredibly fragile. Very delicate. You can break a ribbon mic with an amplifier. Just just the yep. sound coming off the, the um, speakers of an amplifier. So commonly, you'll find um, <clears throat> those get used more for like room mics. But there are people out there who have used ribbon mics to mic a guitar cabinet a foot or two feet away. Um, and typically, that's done with uh, some sort of pop filter or filter to prevent like the volume of air to hit the, the capsule and all that, which 
in in a ribbon mic, it's literally just like a paper thin ribbon of foil that that actually vibrates that produces the um the effect. And of course, some of these microphones require phantom power condensers uh, typically, and um and ribbon mics. I think ribbon mics, if you supply phantom power, they'll break. I don't remember. Um, I'm not an expert in ribbon mics, folks. Few people are that that are dealing home studio stuff because ribbon mics are out of the realm of affordability for most people. Your good ribbon mic started about a thousand bucks. Now, for the purposes of somebody who's like streaming, either you know for for your home, like doing your video game streaming, or I know people who are streaming music production now, and that's a big thing. And yeah. also even streaming guitar playing, like for vo- for anything voice related, you're probably going to want a condenser. We're using condensers right now. We uh, are. We have a pair of AT2020s from Audio Technica, and you, yours is not a 2020, but it's the same. Yeah, but it's the same exact thing with like the filter USB thing USB that I'm not using. Yeah. <laughs> Neither of which I'm using. So, so it's effectively the same mic. Yeah. Um, and so they, of course, they need phantom power and all that good stuff and they're kind of designed for to be a general purpose condenser mic and actually i've used them for guitar and it's not bad it it works well actually um so i would say i I know people have bought things like the the yeti right you used to use the yeti um yeah i don't think and i get people who argue with me about this and it's like god if there's one thing that i know it's professional level microphones you know, in guitars, like the, those are two things that I have a lot more experience than the average person does. And by average right. person, I mean, not a non-musician. Right. And I get right. people saying things like, well, the Yeti is the best mic for podcasting. And uh, it, it is not horrible for voice. If you're a solo podcaster and I see a lot of people using the Yeti pro for solo podcasting. Now that said, there, it, it's got a lot of downsides, and I, I don't want to go into it. Well, I, I um, just want but, to point. I just want to point out the following: it is a it is a microphone designed for podcasters, and that's fine. That is correct. But saying a mic is better than another mic, like yeah. my my whole the way I approach buying mics because I do do a lot of home recording is I look at how versatile it is, right? right. I would never use a Yeti in front of a guitar amp. Well, that's what I was about to say. But beyond speaking, like like uh, people who do – what is that sound thing that people do that supposedly relaxes ASMR. people? ASMR. My, my wife is a victim of ASMR. I am not. Um, as a matter of fact, ASMRs are things that bug the crap out of me. <laughs> yeah. When, I do not want to hear breathing or somebody, things crumbling. or like, really whispering to you. Yeah. I, I, I just don't like that. It, oh, come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I could, couldn't and help myself. Then those are actually things that would irritate me to the point I could not sleep. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, uh, if, it, if you're going to do like, like what we're doing right now, not a horrible thing. But the second, that, that's the reason I have this. I can sing into it. I can mic my amplifier up with it. I can do a dual, dual amplification, which I know you're going to get into. So the difference between the pickup of a, of a cardioid mic, which you're going to yeah. talk about here in a second with the SM57 or 58, which, by the way, folks, they are the same mic, just with a different pattern. The yeah, 57 oh, it's, not even, it's not even really a different pattern. Do you know what it is? It's the, it's the windscreen. Yeah. It's, it's the, pop the windscreen. That's what, exactly what I was going to say. And they, they do the pattern with the pop filter. In fact, it, 
Some, if you notice, some people prefer the 58, Jim, because you can unscrew the windscreen and get closer to the grill. That's right. Or that's that's correct. And I know people who sing with 57. Yes. And actually the 57. So the so the initial reasoning behind the 57 and the, and the pop filter and all that is for feedback rejection. And it so directional. Yes. And it was designed for the human voice. That is correct. Um, <clears throat> if you ever watch the prices, right? You see that long neck microphone that he uses on on like the old Prices Right episodes, yep. Bob Barker. Um, yep, that's there was a time when PA microphones did not look like they do now. Yeah, most of your microphones that that get used in like speech, public address, television type situations are usually an SM fifty eight now. Yep. Um, yep, and that's so. Those are your standard microphones. If you're going to buy microphones, if you've never bought a microphone before, just go buy an SM57 and 58. Just buy those That's two. Right. $100 a piece, right? Like thereabouts. And if you get them used, you, yep. can, get them, you can get them around 60, right? That's right. And then, and or at Sweetwater on sale. Yeah, for 57 and $58, $58 respectively. Which is what I'll be doing this year. <laughs> so I have, I think I have three 58s or two 58s and two 57s right now. And, um, I have not even considered, like, to put in perspective how common and like uh, useful these mics are. Sorry. I they would never even consider selling them because it's like, why bother? They're they're perfect. No, no. And and it's not because they deliver great. <laughs> I'm not advocating if you're going to do a podcast or something, you would not buy those mics. Although a lot of right. people do uh, do podcast with SM57s, and they don't sound right. half bad. Um, no. I would say. A lot of these mics that we're going to talk about have dual purposes. So the e, right. so the E six hundred nine and the nine hundred six, yep. they, they were designed with my assumption to be very close to the sound source direct miking. Yes, and that's a technique that's typically used for guitar amps. And that's right. And so those those um, were designed with two purposes, and we'll get to that. But they get they have a third purpose too, which is like the hidden feature. So yep. the first purpose, of course, is guitar amp bass amp you know close to a speaker yep. that you want to mic up uh the second purpose is uh bass drum yep and that's you can get it right up alongside the second head because it's yep. a big flat open surface and it it absorbs a lot of sound that's actually one of the things i like about the e609 906 line of microphones is that the um the diaphragm, the the part that actually picks up the sound, is bigger in those, and so it's yeah. a lot more detailed sounding than an SM57, at least to my ears. Um, I have one of those as well. They're very similar mics. Yeah, I know you do. Everybody does because they're cheap. The, the yeah. 609 is the one that's cheap. The 906 is a little bit more expensive. It sounds yep. better, and it also has uh, like a roll off for the low end. That's right. Which is great for guitars. Um, that's right. Anyway, so. These microphones are designed with that in mind. They're also designed so that you can hang them over the microphone and they'll sit right against the grill cloth. Um, right. So if you don't want to have to cart a uh, a microphone stand to a gig, stand. like they're perfect for that. But you can also get the microphone things that actually uh, clamp onto the bigger yeah. cab. Yeah, I don't like those because they vibrate. Looks like because a, they vibrate. <clears throat> exactly, and you look like a big vice grip for the amp. <laughs> You put them down over the amp and you, you vice them down and it sits. But to be honest with you, it's better just to hang it. it the, the tough part, the, the skill part, is getting that thing to hang and not to go Yeah. <laughs> sliding down the end. Yeah, I mean, you almost have to put a piece of tape to stop yeah. it. Yeah, that's what I do. I put a piece of gaffer's tape on the top of the amp and 
Yeah, hold it in place. Um, that's that's what I've done. Or I'll wrap it. I'll double wrap around the handle. Uh, tight. Yep. But they, you know, that's hard on the cable. So um, your yep. mileage may vary. So yep. those are cool, right? But there is one yep. amp I really wish I could. Um, hang on one second. I have a cat trying to climb on my computer. Um, <laughs> I, I there's one microphone I wish I had. Which they're, uh, they're marked on at Gearfest. It's gonna be a really compelling thing. Um, MD two four one or four twenty one. Oh, four twenty one. The Sennheiser. Yeah. That microphone yep. is the secret to the Jimi Hendrix sound. And I know, yeah. I know, people are like, "Well, it's not just that microphone," and it's not because the, the one twenty one was also used. The Royer one twenty one ribbon was also used in a lot of that stuff. And I think there were some room condensers and some other things going on. But the close mic sound that came off that. The reason why it has like that filtered mid quality is because that's the MD24 or 420. It's the 421, I believe. Um, the MB421? Yeah. Um, and it's not a cheap microphone. It's like 350 bucks, which as far as a, a, a dynamic mic goes, that's that's really expensive. It's on the expensive side. But you can use it live, number one. Uh, number two is that sound is not going to be had with any other microphone, frankly. Um, dynamic microphone unless you get something equally expensive from some other company that probably isn't actually uh, well thought of as a guitar mic. That mic also gets used for like snares and stuff like that too and anything with a high SBL application. So the 609, the 906 that's the other thing that people use them for a lot that they don't, that, that's not really like an advertised one is they use them to mic up a snare drum either the bottom or the top. You know, of course they can reverse phase and all that good stuff. But the the whole thing is that they can use the uh, they can use that microphone and it and it gives it an interesting character um, because of its wider pickup pattern, which actually makes it kind of interesting for those kind of applications. So that's why I said like when I start looking at microphones, the first thing I do is like what else does it do? Because that gives you a general indicator of what it's gonna be good for in your case. So if you're marking a four by twelve cabinet. Like any of these dynamic mics are going to work fine for you because they're high SPL. When you get into um, marking a four by, uh, micing a four by twelve cabinet, and you're talking about condensers. Then things start to get a little weird because condensers have uh, exaggerated bass, at least in my estimation. Whereas like um, your old traditional dynamic mics had a tighter response on right. the low end. There's still plenty of bass there because you're you're close to the speaker, right? But as you get in condenser, you're gonna get a little more low mids because you're gonna have to back it off the speaker, um, maybe a couple inches, and that's enough to drop that low end quite significantly. Um, and right. there, there are a lot more details, so you're gonna get a lot more high end. I I typically think of condensers as being a little bit more scoop sounding, and I generally will use them in a in a way that I'm gonna I'm gonna use a condenser. Uh, but I won't use like if let's we're recording two guitars, right? I'll use a condenser on one and a dynamic on another because they give two completely different sound characteristics. So I'll look for the guy that's got the more scoop tone and that's where my, my condenser is going to go. And then the guy that's got the more full tone is probably going to get my, um, whatever dynamic mic I'm going to use on that particular thing. And I would do that vice versa, uh, depending on, you know, what I'm trying to go for in terms of the mix. But essentially like I would, I would either mix and match. If I'm doing this, if I'm stereo micing a cab, I'll typically, and I've done this for our demos too. Um, I'll use a dynamic mic or two different dynamic mics and I'll blend. And a lot of times I'll even have a room mic. That's also a dynamic mic or a condenser that I can blend in. 
and those are generally super low in the mix. And you got to be careful about the positioning because there is that whole phasing thing that happens. So you want to have it equidistant from the speaker, or um, I think it's I think it's doubles. But anyway, I don't use a measuring tape or anything like that. I use my ears, and I listen through a pair of cans while I'm setting up the microphones to find out <clears> what stage <throat> places right. are like. And then if you mic the back of an amp, which is a little like something a lot of people don't try, you can get a lot of low end if you put a condenser in the back of an amp like mic the speaker from the inside of an open back amp. And then all you do is flip the phase in post or at the board. And all of a sudden your sound comes to life with all this low end that you didn't know was there. It sounds really good. You want to get those old um, like Fender Champ tones that are really warm, like like um, Steely Dan. Like that's a perfect way to achieve that. Um, again, you're going to be doing a little bit of board EQ and stuff to make that happen. But if you're doing, I mean, and a lot of these, a lot of these microphones can be used for the human voice, but generally speaking, you're going to want something more detailed. So that's when the condenser really comes in handy. That's a dual purpose right. microphone, right? Use the condenser yep. for voice. We're using the AT2020 for voice. I've used it on guitar. I've used it on drums. Um, yep. You can use it as a drum overhead. Like these things are not che- not expensive. I mean, they are cheap. The AT2020 is hundred bucks, and it's a good microphone. MXL makes. Um, Marshall microphones or whatever, MXL, they make a bunch of really inexpensive, decent quality vocal microphones. Um, yep. Now, this is why I was talking about the streaming guys, right? These guys that are like arguing, oh, the, the Yeti is the one to get and or and or the Razer or whatever. They're that using like these gaming microphones to do this stuff. And I'm like, no. No, why would you do that to yourself? Especially if you're doing like music production streaming or something like that. Get yourself a quality mic. Go get right. go go down to the store, spend a hundred bucks, get a get an AT2020, and spend the extra fifty or a hundred bucks to get a to get a proper sound um, uh, interface, audio interface, and and do it right because it, it's going to make a big difference in the, in your quality of your result. Uh, I'm yep. not a big fan of any microphone that has like a USB output on it. And I'm not saying that they're, that they're all bad, but in general, the, the quality of the preamp is not going to be as good as what you would get out of your run-of-the-mill interface. And as you go up well, of course the price not. of the interfaces, the, the preamps are going to get better. And they do have a sizable impact on the smoothness, <clears throat> the character, the voice that goes through them. Right. So, they, go ahead. yeah, the difference between the use of, let's say, a USB mic. The use of a USB mic, if you're Twitch live yeah. or you're doing yeah. something like that, Nobody cares. Just nobody no, but, cares. But don't your go around saying is, your microphone is as good as X either. Right. Right. Don't say it's as good as a, a Shure SM7B or something. Yeah. Like yeah. I mean, we're not even close. I don't. I don't think that. I don't think that the streamers recorded Michael Jackson vocals. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. No. But you got a guy like Joe Rogan who has four SM7Bs in the room. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and those are incredible. Those, those are four hundred dollar mics. Yeah, I wouldn't say they're incredible, but they're decent. Like they're really good broadcast well, mics. For what? Yeah, that's exactly what he's doing. He's broadcasting, pod, podcast broadcast. Great mics for that. I'm just saying, don't don't um, you know? Don't say that your your Yeti Pro <laughs> yeah. is at that level. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, oh well, it's a blue. Blue makes good project microphones. If you got a project studio. They make a range of really, really good, inexpensive microphones for doing project studio work. 
But I don't now, know a whole lot of people in the professional studio world who are going to opt for a blue versus something like a Royer, right? I no, exactly. I got to tell you this. Okay, so um, yeah, I would never, I would never mic a guitar with a Yeti. <laughs> I, I that would be. I know people have done it. I've heard it on YouTube. When you go you around and you well. listen to some of the stuff, and they're like, "Oh, I use my, my, I use my professional microphone for this," and you're looking, yeah. and you're listening, and you're like. Dude, what 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 kind of professional microphone is this? What professional microphone? Yeah, I mean (laughs) exactly. Exactly. I I have to tell you this though. I just so I was looking for um a windscreen for my my um microphone and uh I found Rode, you know Rode, the the company makes really good equipment. The great mic stand stuff. They have something called the Dead Kitten Artificial Fur Windscreen. Yes. And the, uh, by the way, those windscreens are really good. But I know, but it just it looks like a triple triple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I guess they're not intended. The they're not intended. So that's for broadcast, not broadcast, but like if you're going to attach it to a camera and going into a windy right. environment. Exactly. Um exactly. those I just thought it was pretty fun. Yeah, those things are insanely good too. And you know, I'm looking at I'm looking at Blue's um website right now. Or actually, no, I'm looking at Blue on Sweetwater just to see what else they got because I know they do a lot of large diaphragm condensers. Um, I just don't know. I don't know enough about their their product line. I've almost bought one before. You think I'd know more? Um, they got a yeah. couple of cardio you know, like cardio condensers and large diaphragms, and then um, they have some bottle cap type mics. Again, those are uh, cardioid large diaphragm stuff. Yeah, I mean, I've not seen anything here that's like stand out. Like this is, this is the microphone. But there are they do make a couple of super high end mics that I'm sure are used in really expensive studio applications. They make one called the Blueberry, which is a thousand bucks, and they make yep. the Kiwi multi pattern condenser, and that's two thousand dollars. And then you can get the mic locker package from them, which is six thousand dollars. So they do make yeah. some really really nice stuff. But now, if you want to get if you want to get into the um, uh, the I want to say the bottom end of the expensive microphones, like I, I don't know how you call that the upper mid tier. Yeah, I suppose you would look for like the um, the bottle mics. <clears throat> yeah, um, the baby bottles. That's the, uh, yeah, Blue makes some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, now Royer. So, like, if I was to buy a Royer one twenty one pair studio match pair of ribbons, and that and that's generally speaking, like when you have a ribbon mic, get used on you know overheads or something for drums or for guitar cabinet like room miking, you're going to use a stereo pair and like an XY configuration or you know put them at different distances, but try to get them in phase. You're looking at twenty six hundred dollars for two of those. And they and and they many of them get repaired over their lifetime because the you get them too close and a loud sound source hits them and they're done, um, which is just incredible to me that we're still using ribbon mics. But I will say this: when I'm when I'm using a modeler, generally speaking, I'm using I'm grabbing a ribbon mic model for a lot of stuff because they do sound that good. Um, yeah, and that's another thing. So it used to be the vocal microphones were like un godly expensive like really good ones like condensers that you would use to capture something like mariah carey or something like that there are now some some modeling alternatives that are 
far cheaper. And I don't know any of the high end, like super high end vocal microphones. I don't do a lot of vocal tracking because most of the music I make is instrumental. And that's part of the reason why, but, um, right. Like some of those microphones I know are over $10,000 and yep. it's like, how could you ever afford to do that? Unless you went to a studio, there's just no way, no project studio oh, yeah. is going to have that microphone. Um, yeah. No. So if you if you are looking for for you know microphone for your amp, there's like a lot of options for you. We've talked about many of them on the show. If you're looking for a microphone for streaming, uh, you can probably find a streaming microphone pretty easy. I would recommend you stick to one of the like professional brands though, because you don't know what you're getting in the box. You really don't. I mean, it, Razor could be selling a Chinese microphone, like a Chinese condenser, that's worth like twenty cents. Because there are because there are like garbage bargain basement microphones out there um, that you can get that are condensers, even though condensers are typically a pricier mic because they cost a little bit more to make and all of that. Um, and all of these microphones, it's like the SM57s and the 58s. The reason why you pay $100 for those microphones versus their, their dynamic competitors, which are between 50 and 60 to 75 bucks, is because their quality yep. control is better. And they have a line of inexpensive 57s and 58s called the PG series. But the, That's right. but the PG series, from what I understand, is literally just the throwback microphones that don't meet the same specifications that go into the professional SM 758. So That's exactly right. Some of them will be great. Some of them won't be. Right. And then and that's okay. Like yeah. for for playing out live, you may not need the the true SM57. Um my my SM58, I bought it the very next day. Um, I gigged with it and somebody knocked it over and <laughs> yeah, you still got, got a big dent, you got a big screen. dent in it. And then you laughed and you were like, well, it looks like all the others now. <laughs> yep. Looks like everything else in the bag. Well, no, the SM 57s <clears throat> are always like, they should come standard with a dent. They should pre dent. Them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, that, that's, I just knock it on the table. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, you can buy, uh, the blue microphone, um, high end ones. They, they run upwards of two grand. So you can buy, uh, you know, and some of the packages are up upwards of $6,000. All right. So when it comes to their high-end stuff, the Kiwi and the, you know, the Rocket and that type of thing, the Blueberry, the Dragonfly, you spend some money. Yeah. Um, Truthfully, I don't know that anybody, like, outside of a professional studio, if you're not familiar with the professional studio, you probably don't know what right. those microphones even sound like. Yeah. So, or how to, even if you had one, um, it's mic placement is a whole thing that it's not just, it's not something that, you know, you can go on YouTube and okay, now I know how to put a microphone on it. It, it takes some time. Yeah. Especially with like doing vocal and stuff. So yep. here's, um, here's the two, the two vocal microphones that stand out for me that like I've seen before, but never actually used, uh, the mm -hmm. Telefunken U47. Um, yeah. that's $9,000. Okay. And then the Neumann U67 is another popular one. And that is $7,000. Um, and then you can go on down. There's like other stuff like the Manly, um, which is a reference mic and, um, yeah. AKG C12s. And then yeah. I'm just looking through, there's a lot of different Neumann. There's like, here's like a U U47 FET. That's 4,000. So, I mean, you can, you can go, if you really want to spend some money, like there's crazy stuff out there available for you, but you don't, you'll notice like if you watch streamers, you watch people like Markiplier and these guys that are making lots of money doing this, they ain't using anything like that. I mean, yeah. 
why would they buy a Neumann U67? They don't. They don't even have an acoustic room good enough to actually take advantage of it. There's no reason. the The truth of the matter is that the the highest end microphone I would use would probably be a SM58 Beta. Yeah. And a Beta 57. Yeah, I mean, that would be. And it. they're not even that expensive. I think they're what, like two hundred bucks nope. for the. Yeah, two hundred dollars for the Beta each. Um, yeah. Let me. But take a one step back. There are two pencil condensers that Sure makes. That I actually really like, and I'm I'm looking to see what they're called, because those would be those would be two that I would recommend if you're if you're wanting to get like a match pair for recording acoustic guitar. Um, I would recommend these guys. It's not those. Those are the KSMs. Those are those are a fair bit pricier. Why does so now that Shure's into um, wireless systems, it's like really hard to um, separate out all of their microphones from everything else wireless condenser microphones they are condensers so that's that's fine um well, those are a lot more expensive than i thought they were maybe it was the ksms i didn't think so i thought it was some sort of 5758 like take off of the 5758 um but those not, no they may not make them anymore um yeah but they were they were like a no here it is they don't they it's the sm81 Okay, they don't sell them in a matched pair. It doesn't look like because they're not doing the KSMs in a matched pair, which are smaller. Yeah. Those are actually pretty good for doing acoustic guitar too. I've I've actually got a little bit of limited experience with those, um, but those. I mean, you're gonna pay a little bit more to do an acoustic guitar mic, and that the, there's an obvious reason for that, right? I mean, acoustic guitar is all about having the right microphone and the right distance and the right combination of mics and you can mic up an acoustic with an sm57 i've done it um you can mic up an acoustic really well with a pair of sm57s actually um mm -hmm. and kind of do a close mic thing um but i i prefer to use a condenser on acoustic guitar uh i especially around the sound hole because it gets all the the detail and then maybe you know if you want to capture some finger noise or something like that then maybe you want to use an sm57 on the board or like closer yep. to the to where the fingerboard's at. I've done three microphone setups on some acoustics too to get some of the actual like player string noise. Um, it doesn't necessarily get amplified by the sound body. So I'll put like a like a 57 by the nut, you know, and I'll put a 57 by the, the body um, right where the neck meets the body. And then I'll put like a condenser where the sound hole is. And it, actually right. the biggest challenge with Mike and the acoustic guitar is getting the guy to stand still. And like, or get the guy to oh, sit yeah. still because the microphones don't move with you, you know, <laughs> like, and so you typically end up running a bit more compression than you, than you'd like. That's been, yeah. that's been my experience. Um, but all in all, I think, uh, I think it's a lot easier to get an electric guitar sound than it is to get a good acoustic sound. Um, and which plays into what we were just talking about, like miking up other instruments can be a real pain in the ass. And it's a skill set you really have to learn. Because, uh, like, for example, if you're going to mic up a flute, everybody thinks, oh, I'll just put the microphone down by the by the bell of the instrument. No, yeah, you want to no. mic the, the damn finger holes. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, and again, then, of course, you have to have a mic with a really big pattern to capture because, you know, a flute's about a foot a foot long, you know, a yeah. little over a foot. So, you know, you got to have a, pat, a, a, a microphone that can capture the entire length of the instrument because most of the sound comes out yeah. of the finger holes. Um, yep. So just little stuff like that that you learn over the years. And you're like, what? Huh? Um, 
acoustic guitar is pretty straightforward though i mean you got one sound hole unless you got one of those crazy ones that have well the listener port. Can, <laughs> so some people for a little more low end they'll they'll microphone the uh they'll mic the um where the body and the neck uh fretboard meet yeah that's what i was saying yeah yeah i actually think that uh the fingerboard mic like around the 12th fret or even yeah. closer you could go to the seventh or fifth um yeah. it's super useful though because it gives you all the brightness too and yeah. i see that one in let neglected a lot especially in live setups which yeah. i if you're micing your acoustic live nowadays i mean it's almost old hat because the, yeah. the transducer systems have gotten so good that in a lot yeah. of cases your acoustic guitar sounds better just plug directly in so yeah I didn't want this uh, segment to take this long, but I think microphones is an important thing we've never covered on this show that it's worth having a discussion about. Um, so if you have questions, of course, we got a group. You can ask them in there. We'll be happy to answer what with what we do know. And we know that we have some people in the group who are more knowledgeable about recording than us, um, Stephen Miller being one of them. Uh, yep. And though he, and of course, you can always tag Stephen in there and uh, ask him directly. Yeah. So. Um, I think do we, do we want to talk about a little bit of what um, our listener friend that's in the Patreon group is going through right now, in terms of getting well, or playing in church? I think I think what we need to do is just touch on it yeah. and then uh, call it a night. and then um, call it a night. Yeah. So uh, we do have a Patreon listener who is uh, going into doing some uh, stuff in church, uh, doing a praise and worship thing, and was saying, "Oh, I need to bring in my pedals to." Um, get get them put on a board by somebody and and we were like no do it yourself yeah, um, yeah I, I wanted to spot, speak a little bit about the motive behind why we said what we said and yeah, this isn't yeah. for this listener because we've already we've already talked to him directly at least I did right um it's for but this is for anybody else who's thinking about this kind of thing so like all right this stuff's expensive right like yeah it, buying any equipment for guitar is expensive the first thing you you want to avoid is going into debt right and right. when you when you're going to play in church, we have this tendency to be like, look at the other church players and what they're doing. But I would encourage anybody who's like playing in church who's not being paid for it, you don't really have to have your sound be perfect. I mean, right. all on, in all honesty, you're not. It's not a paying gig, number one, and nope. you should treat it like it is a pay, play, you know, paying gig because paying, you know, any gig can become a paying gig. If you do it the right way and you do it long enough. Um, but my point is, um, don't go into debt over it. That that's a that's a big thing to remember. But also, like, be reasonable about it. You see these guys on the P dubs groups who have like fifteen thousand oh dollars in their rig, and you're going, Who are you playing for? Christ himself? I mean I know. We we've talked about that before. I just I can't. I can't even fathom some of these rigs and they play three or four songs a week. I mean, I get it. If you're getting paid, you know, sure. sure. And if you're, you know, and if you're a skill level musician and you got the money laying around like that, that's all fine and good, but don't, but they set the bar so high that somebody yeah. like the listener of our show is like, I really feel like, you know, I need to go and have my pedal board built by somebody. And I'm like, my initial thought with that was number one, nobody should be doing that unless they're, they're getting paid for the gig. Right. Because right. it is, I, yes, it's a thing of convenience. Um, but the other thing is, like, unless you're getting paid for the gig, chances are you're going to be changing the board. 
frequently yeah. and it, it almost doesn't make sense to have somebody else wired up for you and all of the knowledge needed to build a board even from scratch with analog pedals is available online that's right so it's I, some of these switching units cost more than some of the guitars that, that these folks are using yeah yeah um, just the switching unit yeah i mean have you seen the one that the the um the pedal what is it the pedal show that pedal show uses that get great that, yeah the get great it's like a grand huh I think it's like a grand. Yeah, two it's, grand. it's it like $1,300, $1,400, yeah. Yeah, that's for the basic one. That's the ES8 version of their uh, unit. That's before you um, start putting it onto a board. Yeah, because you have to buy a board that – so like the way that they would recommend you do it is put it on the, the two-tier board. But if you go to their <laughs> site right now, their their pedal pedal board products are insanely expensive. Um, but it's partially because we're paying a tax since we're not in the, they're not in the States. So right. if you want to buy the G2, I mean, don't get me wrong. That's an awesome. They're okay. They, you know what? The ESH just is good. Like, and it does. The That's what I was going to say. Do it with the um, and it's slightly less expensive. Um, I wanted to say, I'm going to their store right now. Cause I want to give you guys a price. That's actually accurate. So $795, 795 pounds. Uh, in US dollars, so seventy-five pounds British pounds in dollars. Thank you, Google. It is one thousand five dollars and ninety-three cents. So actually, the price has gone down for the, yes. for the big boy switcher. So it used to be like twelve hundred bucks. What is that thing called? The uh, the G the G two. The G two, yeah. and of course now a Boss a Boss ES eight is seven hundred. Yeah, so but here's the difference. So the G2 is modular. So you need the power supply, you need the other yep. things that go along with it. But you know what? Honestly, that's that's superfluous because the ES8 is not its own power supply. You have to buy the power supply to go with it. So it's right. still kind of the same deal. Um I looked at getting a gig rig and I almost did. Uh and I bought an ES8 instead and I was I was happy with it. Um and I think the gig rig Actually, the thing that uh, scares me about the gig rig is it's like how you program it. Even reading the manual, I was like, it, this doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> so I, I was just like, the, the ES8 has a menu. Like at least I can read the menu and figure out what I'm doing. <laughs> the, the gig rig doesn't have a menu. It doesn't have a display on it. Um, and that was frightening to me, which is part of the reason why I didn't pull the trigger. And then also all other stuff is proprietary. Like their power switching system is really cool because – well, for one, it's Doctor Who uh, themed, but the other thing is, um, it. So you literally put these nine volt plugs in it, and the, and you connect the wires to it instead of a plug, so you can actually have the right length of power cable, which is which is cool. I, I have to admit, but um, other than that, I don't think anything they do is really that fantastic. Even their pedal board tape, it's dual lock. I mean. <laughs> It yeah. just kills me. Yeah, it, it is. It's Duloc. Um, but it's their Duloc. Yeah, I, I mean, the products they got, like, they they were innovative when they started because there was nobody else really building switching systems that were doing the complicated things that the gig rig does. Right, and, and that's what Daniel was doing for a lot of bands. Yeah, well, and so he has um he has a background in, like, doing design for airplane companies or something, building, yeah. building autopilot systems. And if you know anything about that kind of tech, like, they have – dual and triple redundancy those things do not fail 
Right. Uh, it's it's very rare that you hear about one of those things blue screening out or having a, a freak out. I, I could tell you this. My Helix has had a freak out. I, I started up one day and it just it just spun on booting. And I was like, oh, about time to send it in. And then I re- rebooted it and it worked fine. So, um, yeah. And then, of course, they now, they've expanded the line. If you go to their website, they get all kinds of mini switching and all that craziness. But um, you don't need any of that. For most people who play in church, like this was my, this was my comment to, the, to this individual. It's like for most people who play in church, they can get by with two or four pedals on a board. And there's a lot of people who have like 15 to 20 pedals on a board. And I sit there and I'm like, what are you doing? There's no way you're using some of that stuff. When I see somebody with a fuzz on their board that they're going to church with, I just kind of shake my head. And I'm like, what kind of a church are you in? <laughs> I mean, not that, not that I'm judging them. I'm just, I, it's one of those situations where it's like, I, I can't imagine ever using a fuzz in a worship situation. I mean, I'm glad that you can and you do probably. Yeah. But, but yeah, I'm gonna throw on my fuzz face while we, you know, while we play, uh, while we play, uh, you know, a hymn. Hang on. I, I here's something that'll that'll blow your mind before we hold, go. Hold, so I, believe it or not, I'm I'm possibly auditioning. Well, I say possibly, I'm auditioning for a, uh, um, a church gig, paid church gig. So well, and and you know, I'm best of luck to you. Um, if it's a paying gig, I don't care whether it's in church or bar, uh, you know, some guy's house, like who cares? Yep. You have to have a level of professionalism at that point. So have gear that works and works reasonably well for what you're doing, but don't go, yep. don't overdress. You know, when you see these guys with like, you know, two Bogner ecstasies and stereo, yeah. you're like, wait a minute, your amplification alone is $10,000, dude. Like, what are you doing here? Yeah, that's the only reason I'm looking at getting in. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'll, so it's terrible of me. It's terrible. It's you know. It's it, as I said. If you got the money and you you got the ability to do it, by all means, do so. If you don't have the money, don't go into debt over it. Like if right. if you're meant to have this worship gig and you're going to work through it and you're a God fearing person, then you know. Hopefully God will will find a path for you to have the stuff you need to do it. Don't exactly. rely on credit cards to do it. Yeah. Don't go into debt. Don't go bankrupt doing it either. Don't like take your money and spend it all doing it. Be reasonable. Yeah. Even if you've got, you know, if you're in crushing debt, like, and you have to buy a piece of equipment, be reasonable about it. Like you can make something work. And that's, yeah. that's the main thing. I've done a lot of guerrilla recording in my life where I've, you know, spent little to no money to make something work. And yeah, it's a compromise and it sucks a lot. But yep. when you do get it to work, you feel really good about it. I'll tell you that much. Cause yeah. you're like, Oh man, I got away with this. I got away with murder. What do you mean? Lying level? <laughs> like, wink, wink, you know? Um, so I don't know. Anyway, we've been on for far too long tonight, Jim. I've yep. been David. I've been Jim. And tonight we were the practical guitarists. Right.